Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We are here today to record a bonus episode about Undertale. Stephen, is this your favorite game? One of them. It's definitely up there, and it's been solidified replaying it. I think that this is like kind of in an awkward spot chronologically with like you know games that are often considered one of the best it's it's seven years old which makes me feel very old but (laughs) it came out seven years ago and i feel like it's like a game from seven years ago is not nostalgic yet like i feel like skyrim just became nostalgic for me at least from oh yeah this is like now a game that is tethered to a different era for me Mm -hmm. um and there's a comfort in returning to it and i kind of have like an association with it undertale i think I, i definitely have a strong personal association with it but i don't know if it's like been enough time to sort of properly gauge uh i guess like in the canon of video games but on a personal level at least the experience i had seven years ago and the experience i just had today uh it is definitely up there for me um and I think uh, I'm excited to explore why. Um, but it's <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite games for sure. Yeah, I, I guess just to uh, high level what Undertale is, and also mention right at the top, we're not going to talk spoilers just yet. This yeah. is going to be a spoiler-free section. So for those of you who haven't played it before, uh, you will get something out of this, and hopefully <laughs> that will be the determination to finally go get it yourself it is available on all platforms including linux and the playstation (laughs) vita so you can go play it yourself right now i'll say this just on my end i've tried playing this game many many times i've tried playing it on windows i've tried playing it on mac i've tried playing it on xbox i've tried playing it on switch i also tried playing it on vita at one point i have it on my vita i uh never finished it on any platform until preparing for this episode, which was kind of one of the reasons I want to do it in the first place was like, please, like, I just need a reason. I just need a reason yeah. to go finish it because yeah. I know it meant a lot to you. I really wanted to play it. I've really enjoyed what I had seen of it in the times that I had tried playing it, but had never made it to the end. Um, and now I have. And let me tell you, it's a good video game. So what is Undertale? It's a 2015 video game by <laughs> a developer by the name of Toby Fox. It is like it is an RPG that is, I would say, in the same vein as like a mother kind of earthbound thing or like a uh, maybe like a Mario and Luigi kind of experience. There's definitely a lot of clear influences. I think like the loudest influence is definitely earthbound just in terms of like the graphical style and the kind of like weird humor and sort of like slightly psychedelic elements of it. Yeah, it was originally pitched on Kickstarter as uh, a game where nobody needs to get hurt. And in case you're wondering what that means, the the whole central conceit of this thing is that you are a person making your way through like an underground air. I'll just say area filled with monsters uh, and you can fight those monsters. But there's also uh, a whole slew of actions you can take when you're in combat with those monsters. You can talk to them sometimes. You can like crack jokes with them. You can laugh at their jokes, things like that. There are a lot of different ways to experience every encounter that you have in Undertale. And the biggest thing about it is that it will react to all of those different methods of interaction. So anything you choose to do, the game has like writing and narrative to support that choice and will call you out when you're an asshole and will like pat you on the back if you're nice. Um, And there's just a lot going on here in Undertale. I am glad to have finished it. It was a very good experience. 
I'll obviously talk way more about why in spoilers, but I'll just say this. If you have been sitting on Undertale for a long time, it's been in your backlog for a long time, just like go play the game. It's really good. I'm a big fan. Steven, what's your history with Undertale? <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time with it. And yeah, it's something where like uh, we were talking about sort of how long it's been since it's come out and like the sort of legacy of the game. I do think that like it's been long enough that there was a time like within a year of the game coming out where it blew up so surprisingly large and like elements of the fandom that were kind of more toxic came to the surface more. And like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were it was harder to recommend in that time. Um, and it was it was disappointing. It reminded me a lot of uh, the Mass Effect three days where it was like there's this game that I love that got surrounded by a thing that was like unfortunate and and it sort of soured the time with it but i bring that up because now it's been enough time where i think time is kind of a reset and uh you can i think experience the game with a fresher palette so i think this is like Mm. a great time if you haven't played it or you've like heard about it but never tried it this is a great time to play it and there's so many different ways to experience it i would say like like there's a like Linux. Uh, I would say, <laughs> speaking of Linux, I would say I have a slight preference uh, on on any computer for the game, like a PC, Mac, Linux, your mm-hmm. choice. There, there are elements of the game that I think work better on a PC. The way the combat works, you know, like Brendan was saying, it's structured largely like a retro JRPG, but the turn-based combat plays out like a bullet hell. So when it's the enemy's turn, you have to move a heart, icon in this box away from enemy projectiles um and the the shape and pattern of those projectiles varies enemy by enemy which kind of reinforces this idea that like you're kind of you can either attack the enemy or you can kind of get to know who they are and and what they enjoy or what they dislike it's very similar to smt the demon negotiation where like there's almost a little puzzle with every encounter of like Mm -hmm. how do i get on this enemy's good side So my history with the game, I think I had the best lead up to it, because, again, as we've stressed in this section, it's really this is a game that I think is is really sensitive to spoilers. So really do go in blind as possible if you can. What happened to me in 2015 was that a friend was like, hey, you should play this. It's and then I I looked it up on Steam and and it got very positive reviews. uh, And I saw that it was a retro RPG of some kind. That's all I knew was that people seemed to like it and that it was a retro (laughs) RPG and it was $10. So like I didn't really have the, even prior to sort of the toxic fandom coming to surface, I, I didn't even have the hype. Like there wasn't even the like 10 out of 10 IGN stuff happening. It was just like this Mm -hmm. game that was recommended to me almost like, you know, serendipitously. Yeah. And I loved it. Like pretty much immediately, I, I could not put it down. It, it was also my primary experience. Like I had played Earthbound in college, but I hadn't played Mother 3 yet. I hadn't played a lot of the games other than maybe like Chrono Trigger and, you know, Final Fantasy and stuff that had influenced this game. So for me, I think, you know, if you had played Earthbound or Mother 3 and then you play Undertale, there might be like a millisecond or maybe even a few minutes where you're like, oh man, this is like really similar. Like you might yeah, even be yeah. a little bit put off by the similarities. But for me, I had never really experienced an RPG with this type of flavor, this sort of like goofy, surreal, 
lingering darkness tone of it that immediately the atmosphere just gripped me and i was like i need to i need to see what's going on here Mm. and i won't speak much more to the experience i want to say that for spoilers but i will say that i i picked this game up at a point in my life that was very uncertain i'd moved to chicago a year prior and like honestly the move to chicago has been really positive but when I moved here, I had no plan, which was kind of funny uh, in retrospect. I was just like, I just, I want to start my adult life. I, I like the city. I want to pursue these things. I'm going to go there and figure out the rest later. So that like first year, like I still, f- I still felt like I was finding my footing. I didn't really feel like I lived there yet. I still felt like I was just sort of a strange visitor. So I think there was an element of like this idea of, of a human falling into like an Alice in Wonderland world or just like kind of mm-hmm. like losing their idea of home. I think on an unconscious level resonated with me, even though Chicago is a beautiful place. Like it was still like the, the foundation was reset and I found this game to be such a strong source of inspiration for me. I played at a time where I was losing a lot of confidence in myself and in what I was doing with my life in general and and the art I wanted to create and um the openness of this game and the strangeness of this game inspired me to be like fuck it I'm I want to be myself I want to show myself to the world in a way and that's kind of what I walked away from it with and independent of the game itself I just you know I think one of the reasons why I think of it so highly in addition to the sort of concrete elements about it that are good on a material level it just happened at a point in my life that i really needed it and i i consider that as sort of like tethered to the game in a way that that moment in my life yeah wow well thank you for sharing all that i i've, I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a long time and we, as we have mentioned i i think it's been on the back burner for a really long time yeah um it, it feels like it's due it's due for its time in the sun and i think you're right <laughs> that like it's been it's been long enough that a lot of the more kind of toxic elements of the way it's discussed online have kind of filtered into the background in yeah. in a very similar way to the Mass Effect Legendary Edition coming out kind of at like the perfect time uh, exactly. between yes. the yeah. release of three and when that dropped. I, I think it's worth mentioning, like I, I initially didn't check this game out when it dropped, even though I, I was very much already in my spiel of like, I want to play everything. I want to experience everything as it's coming out, specifically because of the the way I had seen it discussed online and like people is just telling me straight up like, Hey, this fandom is like really gross and weird and you shouldn't engage with it. And I would, I would say like, okay, cool. That's one thing that I don't have to check out. That's actually great for me. That's very helpful. (laughs) And I never really, I never really questioned that. I never really like questioned why the fandom had that kind of reputation. And that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to wait a long time before doing this episode, was just this like, really deep dive into that entire community why it's viewed that way you know what what about it is true what is not and and what i've kind of come away from all of this with is like undertale as as a game is extremely good and i know that's like a very silly thing to say but like undertale is actually just so good that it has created this whole second life of itself it's created this idea of undertale that is like legacy adjacent it's like this entire huge cloud hanging over what is actually just like a very simple like ten dollar video game that you can play in a very small window on your computer it's like star wars almost where it's like this you know i think when any piece of media blows up and not to say that undertale is star wars big but when anything kind of blows up on that level you have you know kind of 
more extreme voices that are that are louder because of just the size of the audience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there's there's always going to be this element of like ownership that a fandom feels it has over a piece of work that, you know, isn't always the case. I mean, as as we know, like Toby Fox at this point, the creator of Undertale to reiterate, like is mostly like reclusive for the most part, like doesn't really do a lot of public appearances, doesn't really do interviews. There are a lot of quotes of, of his where he said straight up like, I was begging people to not stream this game because I like didn't want it to get any bigger than it already had. You know, it got it got gigantic in a way that not a lot of people get to experience as creators, but also in ways that like not a lot of video games made for fifty thousand dollars via Kickstarter ever do. It's yeah. it's it's really anomalous, like across every facet of it. It's really wild how much there is to talk about with Undertale that isn't even remotely involved in the actual video game itself. We could sit here and talk for the next three hours about things that aren't things that happen in Undertale. <laughs> And it would still be an episode about Undertale. It's just kind of shocking. So I was glad to come into this episode just saying, like, let me just level set. Let me just, like, wipe my brain of all my preconceived notions, all my failed previous runs of this game, all of the attempted tries that I've had to beat this one fucking boss that I couldn't get past. (laughs) Uh, And let's just start from the beginning and give it another shot. Uh, I played it on Xbox this time. Would recommend doing that. I liked it on Xbox. I thought it was very good. But uh, that having been said, I don't know what else I I really have to say in the spoiler free section outside. Like you should go play Undertale. It's a very good video game. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I would also recommend Deltarune uh, once you're done with Undertale. Uh, It is free on Linux and other platforms as well. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying Linux and other platforms, you know, uh, I'll, Linux and the rest. Here's the thing. I have started playing Deltarune and it's really good. I really, yeah. really, really like Deltarune. And I think it's just going to be another one of those things for me. I think it's just going to be another one of those things where it's like, I might walk away from Deltarune liking it. You more like the weird <laughs> sequel better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could see that. I mean, I think with the the difference with Deltarune is that it's been released episodically, almost like Kentucky Route Zero, where like, mm-hmm. you know, they release episodes and then eventually there'll be a whole thing. So I think that it's kind of hard to judge Deltarune for me just based on the first two episodes, but I've really enjoyed both of them. Yeah. And I think it was actually a really pleasant surprise. Again, you mentioned how Toby Fox has been kind of reclusive and and he's even said in interviews, like, I don't know if I'll make a game again. Like, I'm kind of, you yeah. know. That might that might be all I do, and that's okay with me. Um, so the fact that he came back and made Deltarune was really surprising, and I'm 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 just glad to have his voice back because he has he's got such a talent that that sheds a light in the world, and I'm I'm glad he's making more stuff on his own terms. Yeah, you know, it is a, it is a very singular vision. That's kind of yeah remarkable. So anyway, yeah, go play Undertale, and then you can play Deltarune, and then you can hear my weird opinions about Deltarune eventually. <laughs> uh huh. Cool. Should we take a break and then actually talk about the video game? Yeah, that sounds good to me. That's cool. See ya. See you soon. Hello, welcome back. Uh, this is going to be spoilers. We're going to talk spoilers. We're going to talk about yeah. Undertale. We're going to talk about the whole thing. We're going to talk about everything that happens in it. If you haven't played it and you're still listening, if you just heard us say, like, we're going to take a break, and then you heard, like, a little noise, we're now back talking about it. This is your last chance to leave. And you really should. <laughs> I've Like, I've never hit a spoiler warning this hard before, but, like, this is the game. This is the game yeah. to... Uh, 
listen to me on when it comes to I feel to so guilty because I feel like I did not do this in our Games of the Decade episode. I feel like I just sort of showed up and I was like, so then when this happened, um, but <laughs> well, you know, at least we're doing it now. Luckily, that was years ago and I have already forgotten all of that because uh, I... <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I, what I, actually, on that note, you spoiled a huge bit in Chrono Cross in one of our episodes, our first episode about it, that I had completely forgotten. And I'm so glad because when I, I played it and it happened and it blew my mind, and then I went back to listen to our conversations about it and was like, oh my God, he just said it. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad that I've forgotten. Uh, so luckily, the passage of time has wiped the slate clean. A tabula yeah. rasa for Undertale. <laughs> I would say also like we've gotten very good at spoiler tags. I think like early on it was a little bit of a wild yeah, was, west. Yeah, very much a wild west on the show for a while. Because like you know we were just figuring the show out, but um, here we are. So yeah, last last chance. I don't know. We've extended uh, this as far as we can go. If you're still listening, do not tell us that we spoiled <laughs> this game for you. Yes, yes. Now it's on you, dear listener. Yeah. If you're still here. Okay. So I think the way we're going to talk through it too is. I, I imagine that this will be the bulk of the conversation. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I think we also often say this will be a short one and then it's 10 hours. Um, but uh, I would say the game is is roughly divided into three routes. So the game as a whole, you could beat it in roughly four to five hours. Um, and then there are two other routes of the game that play a little differently. And, and then the amount of time that takes kind of varies wildly depending on some things. So as you mentioned earlier, the game's sort of central premise is this idea that you can, uh, when you encounter monsters, um, you can either attack them and kill them like in a traditional RPG, uh, or you can try to resolve it peacefully. And I really want to stress that like this conceit could have been so trite. Like I feel like in a different team with a different voice, mm. this could have been like really overly simple this could have been like that part of infamous where it's like i could save everyone or i could burn down the house and it's like <laughs> you know yeah i i think that um the game does a really brilliant thing where um you know it begins with the the human character this human child falling into mount ebit and you wake up and this little flower with like a smiley face is like, hi, I'm Flowey uh, down here and basically teaches you how to play the game. So Flowey talks about how like this heart icon is your soul. You can move it around and you should collect all the friendship pellets. Uh, and then, it, you know, all these little icons appear. And if you go to collect them, it hurts you. And then Flowey's face changes and he says, idiot, down here, it's kill or be killed. So that's your first impression of the game is this evil flower trying to kill you yeah and what's great is like you know if you're playing it again like i am seven years later you're just going to avoid those pellets yeah and going back to toby fox foreseeing literally everything you could do in this game if you avoid them he gets annoyed and he's like collect them the music kind of changes and then uh if you avoid them a few times it gets really creepy and and flowey says like you know what's going on here don't you mm-hmm just stuff like that like goes such a long way. I mean, I think like we'll talk about sort of the fourth wall aspect of this game and how well done it is and like what a tricky thing that is to do even. But I think the game opening with that is such a brilliant idea because then what follows is another character. So like Flowey's about to kill you basically, regardless of how you approach the friendship pellets. Flowey says a killer be killed and is laughing maniacally as it tries to kill you. And then a fireball appears and knocks Flowey away. And Toriel, 
this character named Toriel shows up, who's this sort of like anthropomorphic goat woman. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be friendly. And she is like, oh, like, are you lost? Like, what a horrible creature. Like, here, let me let me help you. And then, you you know, you leave the battle screen and you see her and she like kind of guides you by hand, like through this area, which is called the ruins, the first area of the underground I, I kept thinking of Spirited Away in this playthrough. Mm. And I think also by extension, like Alice in Wonderland, where it's like a very simple, like I've fallen into another world right. type of setup, you know. Unfortunately, the first person I met was Flowey. And now I'm meeting Toriel. And I'm also embarrassed it took me this long to realize her name is a play on tutorial. But <laughs> here we are. Mm-hmm. Toriel shows you around and she teaches you like, okay this frog is attacking you, but like maybe try talking to it and seeing if you can resolve things peacefully. Right. And you see how that works and, and you see how that could be and it's fun. And I think that's where like, you know, it it feels like kind of from the start, the game is kind of nudging you towards that very gently. At the same time, the very first time I played, I did not trust Toriel at all. I was like, this is super sketchy. Mm. This flower just tried to kill me after saying it, it was my friend. Right. I don't trust this goat person who's telling me to talk to frogs. <laughs> like I, I was very guarded. And I think the brilliant thing, too, is that as you're going through these encounters, you can end the battle peacefully by taking actions by like, you know, uh, it's different for every monster and you get a sense of every monster's personality what their desires are. There's like a, almost like a little arc in every battle. You know, there, there's one monster later on who's like, I think, I think their name is literally shy Ren and they like want to sing, but they're too shy. Yeah. So you can be like, you know, encourage them to sing. And then once you meet certain conditions, you can then spare them. But what's brilliant is that when you spare a monster, you see on the screen, it says like gained zero experience or gained zero EXP mm-hmm. and gained, you get gold, but no experience. So If you have played a video game before, especially if you played RPGs before, you will see that and be like, oh, okay. So like I could end things peacefully, but I should probably level up a little bit. Like I should probably do a mix of the things. Right. We'll explain like why that's (laughs) why that's interesting later. But I think like I'm I'm very impressed just by how the game opens, because I think that it avoids spoiling the sort of central conceit of the game. But also does a brilliant job teaching you like what options you have from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that first section is is really interesting. I, I remember my first playthrough having the exact same instinct that you did, which is like, okay, this thing that I thought was like a nice cute flower tried to kill me, told me then it's kill or be killed. And now here's this person who is like very much trying to thrust a bunch of like Uh, kind of uh, maternal instincts onto me in ways that I have no say over. Like I don't have any choice over this and, and something about this feels off and something about this feels weird. And I mean, I, I I don't know how, how far in you want to get already, but like, I I remember my first experience where you're trying to leave Toriel's house and she's like, please don't leave that whole scene. The way that plays out. I remember myself thinking like, okay, I, I what I knew about the game at the time on my very first playthrough was like there is a peaceful way out of everything. Toriel had tried teaching me that. I have seen that play out multiple times and I hoped that that was the case with Toriel. Hit a wall where I was like I actually don't think it is. I actually don't think that I can spare Toriel in any way because the way you have to do it is by talking to her over and over and over again. Like you have to act yeah. like I don't even know how many times it's a lot. Basically. Yeah. What happens is like, she doesn't want you to leave her house. Like you get to her house and like, 
a really one of my favorite songs in the game is called Home Plays. And it seems like a very idyllic place to grow up, but like it's not your home. And, you know, you, you can explore the house and you see like this room fully furnished, kind of ready for you. And whenever you bring up like, how do I get home? She sort of like avoids the subject. Yeah. So what leads to the battle with her is that she's like, OK, anytime a human has fallen down here, they die. I, I, I can't let that happen to you. If you're so committed on leaving me, and she kind of takes it personally too, which is, I think the first time I was like, okay, you're kind of projecting something onto me pretty hard here. Yeah. She's like, prove to me you're strong enough to survive out there. And like you said, like, you know, every other battle up until Toriel is like, you know, a frog or a weird radish with a face who's like, you know, I laughed and then he laughed and now I can walk away. Right. <laughs> uh, with Toriel, it's like you, you like plead with her not to fight and she, you know, she's not listening. Mm-hmm. So like most people are going to just start fighting. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, I guess this is where I have to like, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a classic setup to any other game where there's like a tutorial boss that you have to beat to get out of the area. And I remember the first time I played, I had the same instinct. I was like, okay, I don't want to fight her, but I think, I think I have to. I think I have to. Right. Because I've, I've I now think I have learned to. that like. Okay, so I can spare people, but I don't always have to. The option to fight is always available if need be. If I really like if I really have to, I can press the fight button because uh, I, I had gone into the game thinking like I will try and spare everybody and then kind of realize at this point I I saw this this conversation as this is your tutorial that you will have to fight sometimes. Yes. Which ended with me killing Toriel, which sucked the first time I played the game. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And I think a lot of people will reset their save after that. And then Flowey calls you out on it, which is like the first major hint that the game is up to something yeah, right. larger than it seems. But I think that whole lead up to tutor- tutorial, tutorial, the game kind of blossoms from that central idea. And I think that if you do, like if you are committed to the idea of peace, she eventually drops her guard and like hugs you and is like, you can go, but never come back here. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that the title card Undertale drops after this encounter. So like this is sort of like the pre-opening credits moment. Yeah. And either what's most likely your first time is you'll kill Toriel by accident or you might have kind of a bittersweet moment where she does let you go but is like heartbroken about it. Or there's the other route which we'll get to later. But, you know, m- most likely you're going to see one of those two your first time playing it. And I guess just to sort of help frame the conversation, I think we can reveal here that the game is trying to tell you that, like, you shouldn't kill anyone. That's sort of the big twist of the game is that it it was pitched as a game where not everyone has to get hurt. And the game is trying to slowly but surely tell you to see this game's full intention and the heart of this game. You you need to realize that you have to find away above violence every time. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's a brilliant ramp up where like you have, you know, there there are five like areas in the game. It's very much a very linear game in that way. There there's, you know, little branches in the path to explore, but you're largely walking left to right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're largely going like to the end in a way that I think that simplicity really aids the storytelling. Yeah. And, you know, so after Toriel, you meet Sans, who needs no introduction, uh, and his brother Papyrus, who is introduced as like a, you know, they're on the lookout for humans. They essentially, they're sentries in the woods who guard the monster town in the underground. 
uh, from humans because, again, there was it's not really super important, but the setup is that there was a war between monsters and humans and, and the monsters were banished to the underground. So they can't leave here. Right. But every now and then a human will fall down and like everyone is like kind of scared about that for for reasons we'll get into later. Yeah. My read on it was just that that's kind of the only way outside of like where the barrier is, which we'll talk about. But like outside of the barrier, this is the only way that anyone like the monsters can't leave that hole in the mountain but humans can fall into it and that's that's why sans and papyrus are there specifically is like keeping guard over that one hole in the mountain that they can't do anything about just in case yeah (laughs) so you meet sans and again kind of similar to sort of the uneasy introduction of flowey and of toriel even sans like lurks up behind you shrouded in darkness and says like human turn around or like you know greet me or something and then you shake his hand and it's a whoopee cushion and then you know it's it's the sands we all know and love and like it's essentially vaudeville from that point on mm-hmm. like you meet papyrus who is his brother who is trying to become head of the royal guard and he needs to find a human to like get that promotion but you immediately learn like there's not a this this character is incapable of harming anyone like even less so than Toriel. Yeah. This guy is, you know, and you had this whole sequence kind of like with Toriel where you had, you know, this scripted moment of like learning the game with her and being at home with her and and resisting this sort of like forced adoption with the Skeleton Brothers. They're just so immediately endearing and they're so like still like it's kind of hard to talk about these characters because they become such like, you know, going back to the fandom, they've been like memed to death and they become things that they're not in the game in some ways. Yeah. But like just when you meet them like you immediately fall in love with them and you you get why there's hype at all for these two and i remember when i played for the first time i had killed toriel by accident i still didn't fully know how permanent that was i remember i tried calling her which is so sad in retrospect because oh, i God, you get yeah. her, you get all the all the major characters numbers and like I was like, was that like, because what happens is she like dissolves Mm -hmm. and then you see a white heart break in half and it breaks in half in the same way that your heart breaks in half when you die. Yeah. The difference is that because you're a human playing a video game, you can reload and try again, Mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get to later. So I, I was still unsure if she was like dead for real. But I was haunted by that. And when I met Papyrus, I was like, I can tell the game is trying to set him up as like this area's boss. And I really don't want to do that again. Like that felt so bad. Yeah. I don't care what they tell me. I'm going to find a way to avoid the encounter here. Mm. So like it almost felt like I was putting my foot down despite what the game was sort of wanting me to do. Right. And what's brilliant about that whole section is like you're just like solving goofy puzzles and like there's all these like moments where he's like making you spaghetti and like it's just like it's very silly. The humor can be very kind of chaotic and potentially imbalancing the tone. I think this game does such a great job balancing tone overall with like being dramatic and heartfelt and sad and funny and scary all at once. It's, it's miraculous. Like I've never really seen a piece of media be all those things. And again, largely the elements that I just said, whether the game is funnier or sadder or scarier will depend on how you play it. So it's not going to be all those things all at once, but like going through snowed in, which is the second area with sans and papyrus and like, you know, sans kind of talking to the player and being like, Hey, like 
it would make my brother really happy if he captured a human. So maybe just play along. Yeah. Know? Right. And like, it seems like Sans kind of has your back and Papyrus is like, ah, I will find a human. You know? Yes. That is the exact voice that I gave Papyrus in my head. Also. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, 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 that's canonically his voice. I think. Yeah. He, you know, says, I, the great Papyrus. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> when it came to the battle, I was like, no way. And I, and I, I, I did what the game secretly wanted me to do a tutorial where I just committed to mercy over and over and over again. Right. And we were able, I spared him and I felt like I felt the catharsis that you would normally feel when beating a Elden Ring boss. I was like, <laughs> I did it. And that was sort of the moment I fell in love with the game where I was like, I kind of get what they're saying. I still wasn't fully aware that like me killing anyone was off the table. Cause I was like, I'll kill a few froggets to level up. Right. And that's, I think again, kind of why we stressed earlier to go in blind like i think it is good to play the game that way early on because i think that the 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 twists and the message of the game will land much stronger if you've kind of fucked up you know Mm -hmm. like yeah especially the first time you play it i I think there's um i think there's a version of this where somebody plays through and doesn't kill anyone the whole time where like they clock it right from the top and and they're able to do that um and as you and i have been talking about uh earlier today before we started recording like the game also accounts for that is like what it what if you pick up on that immediately and play through the entire game without killing anyone uh on your first go through there are there are versions of of an ending uh that that involve that that we could talk about later but i think for most people if i were to guess you will play the way that steven and i are talking about and the way that both of both of us did the first time through which is like every once in a while you'll kill something because it would be helpful to level up because if not the game is going to be really difficult you know if you you eventually because i I think one of the biggest things is like everyone kind of is pointing you in the direction of Asgor, who is the king of the underground. He's like the king of the monsters. And everyone talks about him uh, almost like as this like big, like kind of fluffy, irreverent dude. Like everyone talks about him like, oh, he's going to be really cool. But his name is always in like big, bold, red shaking font uh, as yeah. if like, yeah, he obviously likes the monsters in the underground. But how is he going to feel when you come along? You're a human. It's going to be very different for you than, you know, meeting up with Papyrus, for example. His last name is also an anagram of murderer. Like he's, it's spelled dreamer. Oh, like it's wow. Like I didn't D R E M U R. That's wild. Pretty much every name in the game is an anagram of something, which I think also kind of complements this idea of like routes and different perspectives and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it could be one of two things depending on how you play. Yeah. Anyway, my, my, my thought process on my first playthrough was just like, I need to prepare for that. Like, I know the yeah. game doesn't want me to kill anyone and I'll try my best to not kill all these bosses who seem like really nice people. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I, I am going to need some stats if I'm going to beat this boss, because I know for a fact, narratively, that dude wants to kill me really bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't know if I'll be able to make it out. So I better be prepared for that in the event that that's the situation. And and post papyrus, everyone really wants to kill you pretty much. Like, yeah. And I think what's really brilliant is that like everyone wants to kill you or everyone is operating under the same assumption that the player is where they're all doing what they think they have to do. Mm-hmm. Toriel thinks that she has to protect you by forcing you to be her child. You know, so she I don't think she's actually able to kill you like in that boss fight. She can't. I learned she that she can't kill you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, um, I, I learned that on my most recent playthrough, uh, which we'll get to later. But uh, if your health is too low, all of her attacks miss you. She actually can't hit you. 
Papyrus too, if you die in his boss fight, he captures you, quote unquote, which is essentially being put in a cage that's missing two bars and you can just walk out. Like it's, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> he captures you so poorly oh, that you that. can just walk out. Yeah. So like the first two boss monsters, which is what they're called, they like, they're literally incapable of harming you. <laughs> um, but again, like Papyrus is operating under this assumption of like, I want to be the head of the Royal Guard. I want that respect and in order to get that, I have to capture you. Like You have to be my enemy because of what mm-hmm. I want out of this. Yeah. And I think as the player, we're like, I have to kill monsters because I'm playing a video game. I have to level up. I have to get stronger. So there's a lot of like set assumptions that literally every major character is working against. And the next boss, which in the area Waterfall, is Undine. Uh, if you've spared Papyrus, there's a scene where like he walks up to this very intimidating knight that's like, it's the first character who's like actually scary looking. And Papyrus is like, I met the human. They're actually really nice. Like maybe we don't have to kill them. And yeah. Undine's like, absolutely not. Then what you learn is that Asgore has acquired six human souls from the people that have fallen prior to you. They need seven human souls to escape. So with with seven human souls, the barrier can be destroyed. And monsters can leave the underground. It's almost like Asgore is playing his own version of Final Fantasy where he has to get all the crystals. Like, (laughs) you are the last crystal. We are the crystals, yeah. And Undine, while initially very antagonistic and scary, like, when you talk to everyone in that area, everyone is like, oh, yeah, she's the hero. Like, we all look up to her. Mm -hmm. She's the knight in shining armor. You meet this wonderful character, I think just named Monster Kid, who, like, runs around and falls. And is like, Undine's so cool. And she, like, trips and falls and and, uh, follows you through that whole area. And with Undine, when I first played, it's, it's even less clear how to spare her, I found at least. There's some hints in the battle where, like, you'd actually have to run away um (laughs) but i didn't really know what to do so in my in my first run i only was able to spare papyrus everyone else i killed because i didn't really know how and also everyone else wanted to kill me so i was like oh okay like i'm not gonna hold back here either (laughs) uh which is i think a normal way to react but on dean's whole reason for killing you is like asgore has already killed six other humans like we're in too deep you're the thing standing in our way Right. So I got to take you out. And it's funny, like Undine comments before the battle, she's like standing on this cliff and the wind is it's very like Final Fantasy six. And uh, one, one of the moments that I always love is when she's like, you've come this far. I'm going to explain like our history to you. She's like, you know what? No, fuck it. You don't get to hear that. Like, yeah, I'm just going to attack you. I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. I really liked the way that they sort of paint her as a heroic antagonist and that. You know, there's a lot of different angles to that and the different routes. Meanwhile, while Undine is hunting you, if you're playing likely how you will be playing the first time you pick this game up, you're going to meet all these other characters who you're like genuinely connecting with. I mean, there's the kid that follows you around who always trips and falls and is like a big fan of Undine. And then there's the ghost who I love who invites you over to their house and like you just listen to music and lie on the floor. So like independent of even the battles, the game is constantly making you laugh and giving you these moments that you kind of immediately cherish. And it's being like, this is what the game is about. The game is about having these moments with these characters where they sort of share something with you and you feel like you've gotten to know them. Mm. And it's so much more rewarding than just leveling up, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that waterfall area is where that kind of clicked with me, even though the first time I killed Undine, uh, it's worth noting this time I played, I, I just went full pacifist in the beginning, which we'll talk about later. But, um, I, I think that that's something that like 
it's a very delicate balance that this game has to achieve with like not being too heavy handed with that message, but just sort of like confidently being like, what feels better? Did killing Toriel feel good or did befriending Papyrus and eating spaghetti together feel good? Right. You know? Yeah, I I do think of all the sections of the game, I think Waterfall is, is the point where it kind of in in my many playthroughs of this, this is the part that always feels the longest to me. But I do think Undine as a character and, and the way that you interact with her and, and your reward for making it through Waterfall is really is really spectacular. Um, but it is definitely just like, you know, making your way through all of these kind of like longer walking sections with like puzzles you already know the answers to and you know, like the, the those areas where like the lights turn out and you have to like turn the lights back on to like make it through like a weird maze and stuff. It's like it, it detracts to me from what the overall game is trying to do, because at that point, like right after Papyrus meeting up with somebody who is like actually terrifying is really interesting. I think that's like a really good like next narrative step for this game, especially considering what it's trying to teach you. And it's just it's unfortunate to me that it's broken up in all these other sections. It reminds me so much of like watching a movie where there's two people fighting and then they cut to another scene happening elsewhere in the middle of the fight. It's like, no, 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 just like let this play out, <laughs> you know, like obviously yeah. that works in, in some media, but in a lot of media, I feel like that, that idea is not executed very well. So you end up just like removing all the tension in those instances. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good anyway. I mean, cause waterfall is also where you get to go to the Tammy village and it's the only place you can sell items. I mean, there's like, there's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also Waterfall is the one place where I understood why the monsters want to leave because Snowed Inn is great. Like they've got grill bees. Like there's a lot of like, <laughs> it's a really uh-huh. fun town. I'm like, why does everyone want to leave? Like Snowed Inn's awesome. And then Waterfall is like really sad. Like the, the only thing to do there is to lie on the ground with a ghost, which yeah. like truly is one of my favorite parts of the game. But like the, the other thing, too, is like as you're navigating around, there are these things called echo flowers that will record the last thing that's said. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite moments, actually, is when you're going through like a hall and there's like a whole row of echo flowers and you you hear a conversation that happened between two people in passing about yeah. like what their dreams were and like. And it's, it's, I think like the fact that every character in this game, even the random monsters you find in random battles as you're walking around, everyone has a hope and a desire. Everyone has like something that they want to see if they can get out, what is it they want to do? And and what you're kind of forced to reckon with as a player is like, why do I want to get out? I don't, yeah. when I get out, the game ends. So like me escaping the underground is an existential idea. You know, there, there's the player character leaving the underground, in which case that's a life we don't see. And mm-hmm. then there's like us as a player leaving the underground, which is being done with the game, which that division is very heavily explored as well later on. But like, I remember there's a point later where if you didn't kill Papyrus, you have dinner with Sans. It's a great scene. Um, mm, and yeah. I love that the music that plays in that scene is like a slowed down kind of more mellow version of his theme song which is normally very like nah gotcha but it's like yeah kind of a somber light jazz version of it he has a line that's always stuck with me he's like you've got great friends here you know bad laughs good food is what you have to do really that important because at a certain point it's revealed that even if you've been picking up the game's lesson and sparing everyone you're eventually told you have to kill Asgore. Like either he kills you and breaks the barrier and declares war on humanity 
and all the monsters leave that way. Yeah. Or you kill him, leave the underground, and everyone else is still stuck here. So Sans is kind of being like, kind of asking the player, like, what do you want? You know, what do you want to do with this situation? And like, what's actually more important to you as a player? Because honestly, I mean, it's similar in that way to Spirit Away, where the protagonist of Spirit Away's whole mission is to get back to her world. But as a viewer, we're only seeing the fantasy world. So like, we're cool with the fantasy world. We're like, yeah, this is great. Why do you want to leave here? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a really interesting thing to explore. So the next area is Hotland, where you meet Alphys, who's the royal scientist, and Metaton, who is introduced as a killer robot designed to battle humans, mm-hmm. but is immediately like very fun and very funny and is is striving to be a celebrity and is already a celebrity in the underground. Yeah. And there's kind of like a strange almost Tom and Jerry relationship the player has with Metaton from Go, where like as you explore Hotland, Alphys sort of like nervously communicates with you to try to help you out. And Metaton will, you know, often the lights will go out and they'll go back on and you're on like a game show with Metaton where they're trying to kill you in like very cartoonish ways. Yeah. It's I, I loved this section so much. Yeah. Th- this was, I think on my first playthrough and on every subsequent playthrough, this is always the part where I'm like, I love this game. This is like really working for me. This is always, <laughs> this is always a bit like, look, this is a game that came out. What do we say? Seven years ago. So it's 2015 this is a game that came out in 2015. A lot of the humor in some cases really does feel like that. Like a lot of the humor sure. has not, age super well because it is very much like 2015 inspired by the internet versions of humor um yeah. the metaton stuff really still hits like all the metaton oh, yeah. stuff is still super funny i really i really love metaton i'm a big i'm a big metaton fan you got me a metaton figure years ago like when we started the show which has meant a lot to me i appreciate yeah, that. yeah not even fully really understanding the full breadth of metaton <laughs> <laughs> you're just like i think you should have this yeah yeah, so I think, like, again, kind of ramping up the hostility of the bosses. We have Undine, who's trying to kill you for noble reasons. And then Metaton, who seemingly just wants to kill you for, like, entertainment purposes. Yeah, or just they've been programmed that way, was always my assumption. Right. Um, but then it's revealed in your final encounter that they're like, Alphys actually was making me perform this whole thing. They've been watching you this whole time, which is worth noting. Alphys has had, like, and you can actually see that in early areas of the game. If you check certain places, it'll be like, there's a camera here. Or, oh, wow. You know, I never noticed that. So Alphys has kind of been keeping tabs on the human throughout their adventure. And if you're on some version of the neutral route, like they, they will have grown fond of you and are rooting for you. I think she explains like it's hard not to be invested when you watch someone on the screen. So like, mm-hmm. I want to help you. But it's revealed that like all the shenanigans that you and Metaton have gone through have been kind of written by Alphys so she can cast herself as the hero to save you. Right. And before the boss battle, Metaton is like, I actually, what I want to do is kill you for a different reason. If Asgore gets your soul, he's going to declare war on humanity. I don't want that. I want fans. So I'm going to kill you (laughs) and become a star on the surface, which I, I love that so much, which is like straight up evil, but Metaton is so charming that like you kind of are are into it and like your whole battle there's like a rating system where like the more you do certain actions the ratings climb higher and higher mm-hmm. you know and, and I think like Metaton is very funny but I think like again the first time I played I was like they want to kill me so I'm just gonna fight but if you do spare Metaton and you can only spare Metaton by getting high enough ratings which is so funny but then if you hit that mark the ghost Napsta Bluke 
calls in, or it's strongly implied to be the ghost. But they're like, oh, one of my fans is calling in. And it's Naps of Luke says, like, my life is boring, but like you watching you on TV is exciting. And it gives me like something to look forward to. Mm. And then all these other people call in. It's a really heartwarming moment. I'm like, it, it kind of softens Metaton a little bit and gives them like a reason Again, like uh, operating under assumptions, Metaton thinks that they have to go to the surface to be a star, but they've already acquired this fan base right here. And they're sort of like yeah. the source of entertainment and of any kind of happiness that a lot of the people or a lot of the monsters in this place have. Yeah. No, I, 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 shit, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I just, I like Metaton. <laughs> Did you clock? So if you if you do enough investigation at the very end of the true pacifist run, when you can explore the whole area, the house that's next to Napstabluk, the nervous ghost, is Metaton's. Right. Or whoever was Metaton before they got put into the like. Exactly. Yeah. It's because you learn that Metaton is a robot with a soul and it's implied that they might have been a ghost before. And Alphys was like working on a body for them. So like there's another. I think it's like a fun little story as well about like them trying to find their identity. Yeah. Which I guess would then feed into Naps of Luke calling in right during that yeah, scene. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. And then they start a band later, which I love. Lore. Um, There's so much lore. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's, I think, what kind of lends itself to like, you know, wild conspiracy theories and stuff. Because there is a lot like you could you could really do a deep dive of the game and there's a lot to explore but i think like to enjoy it it's very simple you you don't have to like do a deep dive to enjoy it and to get these aspects of the characters yeah i do uh just one thing that i'm thinking about hotland yeah. um are those are those puzzles that you have to do because there's like a there's a couple like puzzles that you have to do where you have to like it's like sliding block puzzles are those supposed to like teach monsters how to fight humans is that the idea oh i didn't even put that together but that might be it i mean there's a lot of like there are a lot of things like that in the game where there's sort of environmental storytelling and, and things that are there for specific reasons that you won't clock until later. Yeah. But I, I, ne- I never made that connection before. It seemed it seemed I mean, it seems to me like you're shooting white pellets essentially at a thing that like splits in half like a heart when it dies. So my, my assumption was that you're teaching. Wow. That's a great point. Yeah. That also kind of feeds into this idea that like monsters have games where they just have to kill a human. Much like we have the opposite, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. Wow. I, um, there's a lot to talk about with Hotland and, and I think Alphys in particular that yeah. I'll, I'll want to get into later. But, uh, for now, I think we should move on to the core. I love the core. This feels very Chrono Trigger for me. I, I got yeah, big, like, totally. uh, yeah. undersea palace energy from this with the music. And it, there are fun moments like that where like, I think Toby Fox has been pretty transparent about like what games kind of inspired Undertale. And, and you can see that and it feels more like an homage than just like trying to copy that. Cause I think this mm-hmm. game, even though I would say you can most directly relate it to like moon and mother three it does have a completely unique energy to it. like i don't really know if there's anything i play that is like this entirely yeah um yeah except deltarune <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i guess so that's it but even deltarune i mean deltarune has like deltarune's a new vibe yeah it, exactly which i think is interesting but yeah, the core is essentially do you remember like what the like reason for it is like what went into the creation of it not particularly i i'm trying I to remember if i'm missing something about it i think it like so I know that there's a whole other thing with like the scientists before Alphys, I think, created the core, which essentially just leads to the palace where Asgore is. So this is sort of like, you know, you are clearly visibly and atmospherically approaching the grand finale. Yeah. 
It is a technologically advanced facility that provides magical electricity to the underground. Oh, okay. So it's like truly like a power plant. Basically. It's like actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like the first time I played the monster designs in the core felt like I was like, oh, I should be fighting these monsters because mm. they're all like, like evolutions of yeah. older monsters you've seen. Like there's final frog. Final frog. Yeah. Uh, and fan. night night. Um, which is like a giant knight who's sleepy. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, the first time I was okay, like I gotta, I gotta train. And honestly, again, jumping ahead a little bit, but like when I played this time on Xbox, committing to pacifism from go, Asgore was extremely hard. I, I, it took me like at least three hours to beat Asgore mm. having not leveled up. So I think that like, while it does, it does kind of help in some ways, you know, I'll save this when we talk about the pacifist route, but essentially, you know, you do have to play it again to see the the quote unquote true ending. But if you commit to pacifism from go, you can kind of speed up that process a little bit. The trade off is that Asgore is like really fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, OK, I, I, I didn't have to play it again, but it also took me three hours, which is essentially what it takes to beat the game normally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I uh, the core is really interesting and, and I really liked Alphys. I still do. The first time I played, I, I felt really bad for her. And, and I think she's a very sympathetic character. She's clearly very nervous and like she's like hiding something and she's lied to you about who, like I think there's such a deep insecurity with her that she is often lying to others about who she is because of the guilt she feels, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I think one of the heavier kind of personal conflicts that are present in the game with these characters. Yeah. I kind of don't want to talk too much about Alphys until we get further in. Sure. More towards the, the next route. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause that, that's where a lot of that really comes to a head. Yeah. I think so too. But yeah, the the core, I mean, the core has some incredible shit though. I mean, the core has like the Metaton resort, right? That's, that's in the core. Uh. Which yes. is great. That's where the like actual final fight against Metaton is, which is really wonderful. Um, I think I think the Metaton Resort is also the place where that like really wild shopkeeper works, right? Oh yeah, uh, Burger Pants. I think his name is. It <laughs> is Burger Pants. Yeah, which that is, is that is like an insult nickname that someone gave him, but that is I think canonically his name is. Who they're well. like a huge fan of. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're yeah. like, yeah, please do call me Burger Pants. Yeah, yeah. The core, the core is a really interesting uh, thing, but it really, it really does feel like kind of your last like. Hey, are you really going to commit to not killing anybody? Because it's going to be really fucking hard on this yes. part. You know, like it, through all the bosses that you've done, et cetera, et cetera. This this was the point where I was like really considering not finishing the second route. Um, yeah, because I, I was like some of some of these monsters were really difficult. I hadn't leveled up at all. I didn't have enough healing items. Really, it got really rough. It got really rough here. This is this is where uh, my determination wavered. I'll say. <laughs> And that's right. Yeah, it's worth noting whenever you save in the game, it mentions you're filled with determination, which weirdly does have plot significance later, which is again, like uh, there are so many things that feel like they're just sort of throw away for fun. And then it's like, oh, that's actually a major plot point in this route. Oh, Mm -hmm. sick. Yeah. Another thing we, we forgot to mention is that like in every boss battle, they sort of change up like the color of your soul will change. So like Normally your icon is red and you can move it freely around. In the papyrus fight, he turns you blue, which essentially turns into a little platformer where like you are 
naturally pulled to the ground or to the bottom of the square by gravity, and you have to jump to avoid the things coming towards you. And with Metaton, I think it's my favorite version of that because your heart becomes yellow and it turns you upside down into like a little Galaga ship where you can like shoot at the projectiles. It's so fun. I I love that they can change the genre of the combat just by like moving your heart around. It reminds me a lot of Nier Automata with like the way the camera would just move and then suddenly it was like a Castlevania game or like yeah. you know, a Galaga game or or Devil May Cry game. It's really yeah. fascinating. A little yeah. a little 13 Sentinels adjacent too where it's like sure. you have 13 yeah. characters or 13 different explorations of what a visual novel can be or Absolutely. why you would use that format to tell a story. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool fight. And after that you make your way into New Home oh which my God. uh <laughs> Which is really wild. So, so new, new home litter. I mean, so it's like this big, speaking of near automata, it's like kind of just big white city. It's the copied city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you make your way into a house that looks exactly like the house uh, in which you hung out with, uh, with Toriel earlier in the game. Uh, there are a bunch of yellow flowers all over the place, which is like obviously some pretty big foreshadowing um maybe the the biggest hit of the whole game is when you look into the mirror and it says despite everything it's still you which like i mean it it fucks everybody up (laughs) that's a big moment and you make your way through uh this kind of like big hallway which ends with sans who is like well now it's time i'm gonna judge you for all your actions which i mean at this point you knew this was coming you know like at this point in the game like you had you had to have seen a situation in which you were like wow i can't believe the game is keeping track of all this stuff i wonder how much other stuff it's keeping track of it kind of does go back to our chrono trigger conversation where the beginning of the game when you're in the festival it's like keeping track of all of these things that you're doing yeah and then when you're put on trial later, it like brings up all of your actions and it's like, oh, my God, what a shocking thing. And then like really doesn't do that ever again throughout yeah. most of the game. Like and just for that moment. Yeah, just for that moment. There's this like incredible magic trick that's like, oh, my God, does the Super Nintendo game actually keep track of all my actions? Uh, and the answer is no. Just a couple of them. This game really does keep track of everything and has responses for everything that you're doing. And this is the moment, obviously, when it all comes to a head and Sans hits you with, uh, you know, a bunch a bunch of like, quote unquote, twists i mean they're not really twists but it's like hey guess what experience doesn't actually mean experience level uh you know lv standing for level doesn't actually mean level yeah it's love i think whenever you level up it's like you gained whatever experience and your love increased by this and it's revealed that exp is execution points and love is level of violence level of violence again i think that could be kind of eye rolly in a different game like I think that and I think the fact that, like you said, that, that it is kind of obvious that the game sort of reveals that like it would prefer you to be peaceful early on. And even if you don't get that, like when you if you kill Papyrus or if you kill Undine or Metaton, you genuinely feel awful after it. Right. You know, like it, it's it's not a it's not a good experience. And you don't like you you like physically don't want to do that again. So I think that the fact that you've already kind of figured out like, okay, like it seems like fighting is bad. Peace is good. But like, I'm trying to find a balance just to survive because everything wants to kill me. I I think that this reveal, it's less that like, oh, fighting is bad and more that like, you shouldn't have killed anyone, dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is the, is the stronger impact, at least for me in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just this idea that like, yeah, it's harder in this game to not kill people, but like, isn't that worth the effort? Like, yeah. why would you take the easy way out when the easy way out is literally murdering a thing? Uh, that's an absolutely wild choice to make. So that's your big like 
a holy shit maybe for some people i imagine playing the game in 2015 right when it came out uh less so if you know anything about it going in i think but it's still like a fun thing that then leads you into the uh asgore conversation which is interesting because you you walk into the room i this was kind of like a oh yeah of course this is this is how this was gonna go for me like when when he turns around and looks just like toriel is like oh my god toriel was the queen like duh like how did i not see this coming yeah and uh i appreciate that he's just like kind of a nice guy at first you know he's like he just seems like a like a nice dude um unfortunately he really does want to murder you pretty bad uh this this is I think where where um I think it's the second route kind of gets a little bit more into like judging him for this because I I think there you could walk away from this run like if you if you were to play this game once put it down see this ending and then never pick it up again like if you just decided like I'm done playing Undertale after this point I think you would maybe have this moment where you're like okay so this guy seems to be nice but like very much has this intention to kill me and start a war because he thinks that's the only way that this can go. That sucks. And like, I, yeah. I should, <laughs> why is the game trying to make me feel like he's a cool dude? You know, um, I, I feel like there are a lot of, there are a lot more questions and answers in this route. If you're going up against him just like this. Uh, but of course, if you go through like I did on this run and fight him, because I thought that's what I had to do and make it all the way to the end of that fight and you kill him, you don't actually strike him you don't land the final blow because that comes from flowey who makes their triumphant return for better or for worse and they steal all the souls they steal the six human souls and absorb all of them and turn into a nightmare like a real like true nightmare i I think just quickly before that i think what's really interesting about the asgore fight is that he destroys the mercy option like when he when the yes. battle begins, he like pulls out this red trident, which is honestly pretty cool. And he strikes <laughs> down so you can't use mercy. What's really fascinating, though, is that I don't know if you did this, but if you go to action and you talk to him, it will be like you told him he's killed you five times already. And he like nods pitifully. So mm-hmm. like that's the first moment of the game where it's sort of saying like they are aware that you keep coming back after death. You know, like it's like when you kill a human, that's not it. You have to keep because because of their determination, they keep coming back. Yeah. Um. So it, it's a pretty haunting moment. And like the first time I played, like you know, when you land the final blow, he's like, I just I miss my wife and kids. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is so yeah. sad. I actually kind of the first time I played, I, I just sort of mercy killed him because I'm like, it seems like I just want to get out of here at this point. <laughs> and it seems like he's sort of ready to go. So right. I did that. And then Flowey was like, I knew you had it in you. And then the game crashed. Um, <laughs> and this time, obviously, I spared him. And then, you know, he's like, oh, well, we can live together and I can, you know, Toriel and I will take care of you. And then Flowey shows up. And but yeah, back to what you're saying, where Flowey becomes like this, this nightmare creature. When that first happened, it genuinely terrified me because you know, I had been playing the game. I, I knew that like there was this sort of division of of like, are you attacking or are you being peaceful? And I killed Asgore and then Flowey said, hell yeah. And the game closed <laughs> and then I opened it again and it was like all fucked up. Like the save file was like static and and Flowey had seemingly taken control of the game. And when they show up as this like truly satanic uh i think the the common term is photoshop flowy but it's like Mm. a totally different visual presentation than anything in the game and it's madness like the the bullet hell is like beyond anything you've played before and i was convinced like oh i i did the bad thing and now i'm like fucked like that's it 
Like I, I can't win. Yeah. And I think the game does this often where like they so often put you in scenarios where it feels like victory or peace is impossible, you know? And in this case, it's like, how do I, I can't even understand what's happening. Like, how do I beat this creature? And, and can I, and isn't even worth it at this point? You know, it's a really, it's a really shocking moment the first time you see it. Yeah. I, I think this is a good time to highlight just the way this game looks aesthetically also, because yeah. Up until this point, the game has essentially been like pretty like almost like crude drawings of things in pixel art, you know, like uh, the way colors are chosen and stuff seems like sometimes at random, it it almost (laughs) has uh, like a real like childlike energy to a lot of the art. And then when you're in combat, usually it's just this kind of like, you know, white on a black background, almost like MS-DOS energy to, to the way everything is presented outside of, you know, colors here and there for like the heart that that you're moving around the screen or like the buttons, which are yellow. And it almost feels in this moment like that, that was a ruse, you know, (laughs) like, like, like it's not that Toby Fox did this specifically because like he couldn't make anything that looked like more visually pleasing or more like aesthetically cohesive. He did this specifically. So flowy was the most fucking horrible thing that you'd ever seen in that yeah. moment, uh, which I th- I think is like really brilliant. It's re- it's a really it's a really smart decision. Um, but uh, yeah, getting back to the point that you were talking about, like I literally texted you because I was like, I don't think I don't. Am I actually supposed to fight this? Because I just assumed. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed that I was supposed to die until Flowey got bored in this moment. Like I, I really yeah. thought that I was just supposed to get killed over and over again. And then there's this point where he starts saying, um, don't you have anything better to do? And then he just repeated that over and over and over again, every time he killed me. And I was like, Oh my God, I really am. I really am supposed to like attempt this. And it took me forever. This is a thing I haven't mentioned yet. I'm awful at this game. I'm so <laughs> bad at under. It's actually, it's incredible how bad at undertale I am. And it's even more incredible that I beat this game at all. Yeah. Uh, I am truly awful at the bullet hell side of this game. I'm not bad at bullet hell games to be clear. Yeah. I have like played and beaten and loved binding of Isaac, which I think is like significantly more difficult than this game in a lot of ways, but there's something about this game and, and the, the speed at which your heart moves around the screen and the amount of space you have to maneuver and et cetera, et cetera, that like, I just had the hardest time with, and I tried doing what you did and playing it on Mac. Cause you recommend you were like, Oh, play it on Mac. Cause then you could use the arrow keys. It's a lot easier with the keyboard. And I, I still had the same problem. I was like, this is actually, this is not solving my problem. I need to go back. I need to just like continue my save file elsewhere. And uh, I had the hardest time throughout this game. And the reason that I've never finished it before is because there's a there's a fight in uh, I guess it's Hotland. Technically, it's before the core where you're supposed to go through like a, a like a spider area where all these spiders are like talking about how shitty humans are. And then you you roll up on a boss fight uh, who's named Muffet, who is like, hey, did you buy any of our baked goods? Because we had like a bake sale <laughs> earlier. And all the yeah. stuff that you could have bought was like thousands of gold yeah. and like the odds of you having thousands of gold are slim to none at that point. So like obviously you didn't. And then you have to do some combat. And I have never been able to finish that fight. Like still to this day, have not finished it. Can't <laughs> can't do it. If I fight in that combat, I will lose every single time. I can't do it. I've tried so many times. I tried doing it again before we started recording. Like even though I had already beaten the game multiple times, I was like, let me go and try and do that fight again because I still have that save file sitting on my switch. Can pick it up at any moment. Can't do it. (laughs) Cannot do it. Luckily, there is a way around it where you can buy some spider baked goods back in the ruins for like almost no money and then bring it all the way to that point in the game and then make it past that fight, et cetera, et cetera. Point being, 
I have a really hard time with this game. I die a lot. I think it's exceedingly difficult in ways that I really can't wrap my head around because I, I don't think of myself as like bad at video games in any capacity. Obviously, we play a lot of them for this podcast. Something about Undertale really is hard for me. And the idea that I was going to have to fight Flowey actually, like I was going to actually <laughs> have to try and visual because that fight literally to me exists as a way to i mean not not to me i mean i think this is just the read of this but like it is a way of uh of making good on the fact that every time you save at a save point it says you're filled with determination like it really is like use your determination use your willpower to make it past this thing that seems impossible it is not i promise you is what toby fox is saying to the player in that moment and somehow i did it and i think that's miraculous because again i'm proud of you i'm fucking terrible at this game but something something about it i just kept beating my head against i think it's i think it's very nice that you know there's six phases of this fight and it will save your progress if you make it yeah that's a huge that's a huge boon for this fight for sure if it wasn't for that i never would have beaten this game we wouldn't be recording (laughs) this episode to be very i don't think i would have either honestly because i think that like eventually it feels like that fight like the first few tries will feel impossible and then it becomes more of a spectacle than anything else because eventually the other six human souls help you. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I really love that. I forgot how much I love this fight, weirdly enough. <laughs> I know we just spent like all this time talking about how hard it is and how scary it is, but like <laughs> something about the the reveal, like, you know, all the other souls are, are different colored hearts. And eventually, like as this demon is attacking you, Eventually, you'll see an action button like somewhere on the screen. You can go to it and it will say you call for help. And then one of the human, it will like transport the whole battle to a specific type of bullet hell. So one, there's like ballet shoes dipping up and down. um, And one is like a frying pan, like uh, with a bunch of eggs falling down. And eventually, like it switches and then it's like a bunch of healing items. And, and, you know, it's like a nice breath of fresh air between like because the music is also really tense and like atonal mm-hmm. and it's like a, a quick moment of peace before like you're back into the hellfire i love the reveal that so throughout the game you know you find weapons and armor but they're always like very similar to mother actually where all the weapons and armor are like kind of atypical weapons and armor like you'll find a stick and yeah a frying pan ballet shoes a stained apron and then you realize like all those items belonged to one of the previous fallen children who essentially were killed by Asgore, as far as I understand. Yeah. So like it, it was sad, but interesting to see like a little bit of of what their personality was based on the items they used and also like how that personality applies to the gameplay. You know, the ballet shoes are tied to the blue soul, which is all about timing and platforming. And then the the uh, yellow soul has the cowboy hat and that's the Galaga shooter. Like mm-hmm. I, I loved that so much. It was, I don't know, like I can't really place why, but that like clicked something in my brain where I'm like, there is so much thought put into this stuff that like didn't actually even need that at all. Like, yeah. It didn't have to have that level of detail or connection, but it makes the story feel so much richer that like the characters you didn't see that are just sort of off screen fatalities that are essentially MacGuffins for who breaks through the barrier have these hints of personality and story to them. Yeah. Let's talk about what happens when you, when you beat this fight. Yes. So first you think you win and then Flowey loads a save and gives you like a 2010 comic grin 
Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you can't win. I can load, I can just reload my own save and kill you over and over and over again. And they, and they do that. Yeah. They make good on that promise, but eventually the souls overpower Flowey and you're able to win. And then it cuts back to the black screen you're used to. And you see like a withered flower in the style of the tr- traditional combat, the sort of white character on the black background, this withered flower looking away and it says kill or mercy. And the mercy button is like broken and seemingly has been put back together. Mm-hmm. Going back again to this idea of like a crescendo of evil intention. We start with like a maternal figure who wants to keep you safe to this clown who thinks they have to fight you, but they clearly don't want to, to someone with noble reasons, to someone with selfish reasons, to someone who is is seemingly nice, but is like doing a bad thing to now truly a soulless monster who has been the one character in the game that is seemingly beyond redemption. Yeah. You know, every other boss, like even even, you know, Undine, who seems like, oh, they might be bad. Everyone loves them. Like everyone you talk to outside of that encounter is like, we love Undine. They're our hero. Um, and they're very close to Papyrus. So it's like, okay, if, if she's friends with Papyrus, she's probably a good person. <laughs> so this is the sort of last temptation of the player. And if you go to Mercy, it, it isn't like an immediate thing. They turn around and they go like, haven't you learned your lesson? Like, I'll kill you. I'll kill everyone. I'll come back. I'll kill everyone you love. And it's just like constant warnings like that as you have to similar going all the way back to tutorial, just committing to peace in the face of like all logic even. Like this is the one scenario where it's like, it actually might be a bad idea to not just kill Flowey because this is like a presence that has omnipotent control of the game that can harm these characters we've grown to love and just the experience of the game for us beyond repair. It's a really shocking moment. And I I think like when I first saw that I had that option, I actually had to like really think about it. Even though I knew the game wanted me to commit to peace, I'm like, I really do just want to kill this flower at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I... I've had a hard time not going on YouTube and just like looking up all of the like, what happens if you do this? What happens if you do this? What happens if you do this? But like, if you've made it all the way to this point in the game, having, you know, spared most things and, and you don't think to yourself, like, I should probably spare Flowey because that's what the game wants me to do. Then I, you know, whoosh, there goes the point you've right over your point. head. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. Um, but I do appreciate that choosing to spare Flowey is like, make it all the way back here again. It's like, go do this whole fucking game again. Don't kill a single thing. If you can, if you can not kill anything on the way back here, like maybe I'll believe that this is possible. Maybe I'll believe that there's another path for me. What's interesting is that for me, because I hadn't killed anything yet, which is very unlikely. Again, like if you're playing this blind for the first time, you're probably going to kill at least a froggit. I don't know. I keep saying froggit, but <laughs> it's the first monster you find. If you haven't killed anything, Flowey is like, uh, maybe try this and you'll get the happy ending. So in my case, it was like, I hadn't seen the Alphys true lab part of it, which is, I think, I think exclusive to the true pacifist route. So like, mm-hmm. cause that, that was actually one of my worries was like, I kind of want to just like start pacifist. So like if I do that and then I have to play it again the same way, that sounds like a lot, but it seems like if you do that, you kind of, you don't have to do the whole thing again. You can just load your save prior to the Asgore fight and, go back to Alphys yeah. and then see that whole thing. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's that's really what I tried to do on my very 
Yeah, not not my very first run, but when I when I picked this game up on Switch um, and was like, I'm I'm going to give this a shot because I remember. So I had my very first run of the game ever where I like really tried to play the game and kind of had all these kind of like mixed opinions of what I was supposed to be doing at any given time. But then eventually at some point we were doing the podcast and I was like, I'm going to play this game on Switch. I'm going to actually finish it and we'll like give it its time. I tried doing the whole thing pacifist and that was my issue. That was why I like had such a hard time on Muffet and stuff was like, I, I, I really wanted to internalize what the game said it wanted to be and try and make it through the end. And then I learned later on that like, Oh no, you have to do a neutral run first. And that that's why this run for this episode of the show, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to mix it up on the first run. Like I'm going to yeah. kill some things. It's going to be a bummer, but I'm going to do it just to like, play the game like the way most people would if they didn't know anything. But I'm glad to know that there is an avenue for people who just like clock it in one. Yeah. That's good. And in, in the Sans judgment scene, he's like, when he reveals the twist of like what EXP and love mean, he's like, but you never wavered. Like you, you're, you know, you may have been naive, but like, you stuck to something in your heart that led you to this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, there are so many variations of what he can say, depending on what you did. My favorite is like, cause I think the highest level you can get is 19. Like if you, if you killed everything up until that point, mm. you're level 19. If you're like level 14, he's like, you essentially suck at being evil. He's like, you, you did a lot of bad things, but <laughs> you didn't commit to it. So he's like, you know, maybe you're actually might be better at being nice. Try that next time. That's great. Yeah. I just love like you suck at being evil. <laughs> And to be clear, like when you fight like outside of the bosses, when you just fight like monsters you encounter, it doesn't really feel malicious. It just feels like a normal like Pokemon encounter, which Mm -hmm. is another trick of the game where it's like what you realize later is that like these are also characters with their own stories and lives. Exactly. You know, even Froggit, like they have their own stuff going on. And there's a lot there are a lot of theories about like. Why is it that the human views these encounters in this like traditional battle screen? You know, what what force is making them perceive it in that way? Oh, that's interesting. Which we'll get to later. But um, yeah, I honestly like while I obviously love the sort of true finale of the game, which we'll get to in the next section, I imagine there's something about this first run and especially like your very first run of the game that's really hard to top. And this is kind of what I was worried about when we were doing this episode. I'm like, how is it replaying this game? Like, I literally had to play, (laughs) I had to replay it on another console just to avoid the weird, like, karma of, like, you know, resetting a save and all that. But I'm like, is it, is it kind of a game where you play it once and that's the experience and you move on? I do think it holds up when you do replay it. I think that the, the, the atmosphere and the characters and the writing and the music are so strong that it, it just, it's fun to be back there. Mm. So I, I do think it's something that is nice to revisit. I don't know if I will play it again after this episode, because I think there's something to be said about like another part of the game where they kind of want you to leave it in some ways, you know, going back to like, what is leaving the underground mean to us? The pe- the person playing this game. Yeah. And is it like, this is a really fun memory I have and I, and I'm going to, you know, move on with it. And that's something that always going back to spirit away is stuck with me about that movie is like the idea at the end where she just has to run and not look back. Mm. There's some, there's that element to this game as well, where it's like you had your time with it. You just got to move on now. Yeah. I don't feel a strong compulsion to continue playing this game. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't know if I yeah. will ever again. Like I, I will, we'll talk more about why I guess in, in the next bit, but like it, it almost asks you to not, you know, it, it quite it, literally. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, re- it really just says like, Hey, put, put this thing down. 
everything is going to be better off if you never touch this thing again. <laughs> um, which is almost why I'm so interested in Deltarune existing in the first place. Um, yes. And yes, you and I have talked about maybe doing like a bonus about Deltarune or like doing a Patreon episode about Deltarune or something. And I, I really want to talk about it because I, I, I have some already like weird internet lore theories about why Deltarune exists that I, I want to talk to you about maybe off the show at some point. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. But, but the game seems to want you to be done with it forever. Um, and by continuing the story in any capacity at all, I feel like Toby Fox is like opening up a book that he very much closed. And I'm, I'm really curious about it. Some of the best writing I've read about this game all kind of circles around the same idea. That's like when you're done with it, you should be done with it. Um, there's a really good review that Austin Walker wrote for Giant Bomb that I'd recommend reading. That's essentially just like his arc of not liking the game very much and then loving the game and being like, I love this game so much that I'm never going to touch it again. I really feel like that's kind of the takeaway from this. And I, again, it's another situation where like, if you, if you get to the end of the game and that's not your thought, then you kind of have missed the point a little bit. And that bump that bumps up against one of the more toxic elements of the fandom that I've seen, which is like there is a lot a lot of the problems with the fandom are this idea that like there's a right way to play Undertale. Like truly go do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Obviously, like I'm I'm not here to like police the way you're going to play Undertale. But if you make it through this run and the next one we're about to talk about and then make it into the next one, like the game is actively telling you to not do that. You can do it. It's all there. It's cool that it exists. You know, I, I think that that's very interesting. And you and I are going to have a conversation about that later. But like, you don't have to. And it really yeah. is just kind of setting yourself up for like being upset. <laughs> like, why would you put yourself <laughs> through that? You know, it goes back to the idea that all these characters are acting on the assumption that they have to navigate a situation a certain way. Right. And I think that there are routes of the game that purely exist because we've been conditioned as people who play video games to, oh, well, I have to see everything. Yeah. And I, I have to complete this entirely and I have to do this, which, you know, we'll talk about more. But I think even if you do like commit to that and even if you digested the point, but still like want to explore what the game will say because of what you do, you know, I, I think that like the game clearly has a thesis on itself, mm -hmm. um, no matter how you play it. And I think it will communicate that thesis dramatically differently depending on how you respond to what it's laying down. Yeah. I felt after finishing this run, which is considered the neutral run, I felt when yeah. I was done with it, like I hadn't finished the game. You know, obviously Flowey was like, come back here again. Don't kill anyone. I was like, OK, cool. That's my mission. That's my quest. I'm going to go do it again. And I, I I would be very interested to hear from the experiences of people who stop it here. You know? Yeah, I, I imagine that's uncommon unless you're like just not enjoying it for whatever reason. I feel like the neutral ending is kind of designed to be unsatisfying. Like there are a lot of different endings for the neutral route, which essentially like that whole thing happens with Flowey. And then at the end, Sans calls you and it's completely black. It's just like the dialogue screen at the bottom and Sans and possibly other characters will explain like what's up in the underground since you left. Mm. And like the first time I played everyone, I, I killed all the bosses except for Papyrus. So Papyrus was in charge and it was very sad, but, but bittersweet because Papyrus was like, you know, we hope you're doing well wherever you are. Like Sans told me Undine's on vacation. Yeah, I, I actually, I did see that at one point. I forget, I forget where I saw that, but, uh, Sans tells me that everybody's on vacation and I hope they're having a good time or something. And it's like actually it like, more heartbreaking than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And 
if Papyrus is dead, Sans is like more aggressive to the player and is like, you know, don't come back. Like, I know what you did kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But for me, for this run, because I spared everyone, it was it was much more optimistic, but still really sad. I mean, pretty much like Sans called me and then Papyrus grabbed the phone and then Undine grabbed the phone. And then, you know, they were talking about like things are, you know, feeling a little bit more hopeful. Toriel was in charge and they were trying to make the underground a better place. But like Asgore is still dead and they're still stuck there. So like, yeah, there's this nice phone call, but you're left with this impression that like, that's probably it there. You know, nothing has really changed, even though like I'm buds with Undine, which rules like I can't really (laughs) do anything about their situation. So, yeah, but I mean, it it is there. God. So, you know, I got basically like the, the happiest shade of the neutral ending. Some of the ones that are closer to the evil route are like shocking, (laughs) which I think we'll talk about later. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool how many variation variations there are. But again, I don't, I, I think it would, I think you would actually have to not like the game to stop there pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. On that note, should we should we take a break and then come back and talk about the pacifist run, which would be the I would next love one? That. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the move. So yeah, we'll take a break here. Talk about the actual ending. Talk about the actual ending, the true ending, possibly. Then the other round, and then we'll do questions. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, see you soon. Bye, dear listener. back and we're not killing anyone this time no more fights i'm sick of hitting attack and attacking with my ballet shoes or a tough bandana or frying pan or empty cowboy gun or stick or real knife or worn dagger i'm done with it i'm over it it was just a phase i do want to say though before we leave fighting behind forever that i really do actually like the way fights work in this game i actually i actually really like the act of like that that timing game that they have especially depending on what weapon you're using how that will change um you know like when you're using the the gun that doesn't have any bullets technically how you have to like do it a bunch of times it's really it's it's like really fun it's really it's so weird that that's also like the most mario and luigi dna there is and it's in like the (laughs) Yeah. the malicious act of the game it's yeah like, that's that's what i took from mario and luigi <laughs> <laughs> the the killing but i agree I, I also like the sort of grid where the line goes over it and you want to get in the center it kind of looks like an eye yeah. i always interpret it as like an eye watching what you're doing oh yeah um, Whoa. but i i never really knew what it was <laughs> dude dude like everything that's and that's the thing it's like I, I know I brought this up earlier, but the, the whole dude part of it is like this game could have been that hard drive article where it was like Pokemon's messed up if you think about it. You know, it's like <laughs> the idea of like, oh, dude, like in games, like when you fight monsters, like you're actually kill- like that's kind of fucked up if you think about it. Like, yeah, it, it could have been so trite. And I feel yeah. like it's amazing how meaningful it is. And I think, again, the, the point you brought up that I think is is a brilliant point is that like it wasn't really a twist and i think that's like Mm -hmm. the best thing the game does like it's like partially a twist but like mostly it's a slow burn of information (laughs) yeah yeah. rather than like a you were the bad guy dude right so yeah it's just it's just the opposite of hotline miami (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing i think like this 
this what well, Hollywood Miami was 2012, which I think is a good game too. I don't want to like debase that, but that is very much like the beginning of games being a game tells you to do something, therefore you do it. This is more, I think Undertale is less about the twist of like what you were doing all along was bad and more really trying to take a step back from like game design in general and be like, why do we default to this? That's what I've always thought is like Undertale is trying to question like, what do you play a game for and what is more meaningful and why are these mechanics so set in place? Like, I feel like for RPGs especially, if you were to ask someone, like, why are you a fan of Final Fantasy VII or of Chrono Trigger, most of the time it would be because of the story, right? Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be because, like, oh, I love when I fought the dinosaurs and I used X slash. That's, like, a fun, it's, like, an accent to the game. It's, like, a, a fun variation to, like, the plot, but it's not really the main event. So I think Undertale is looking at the parts of the game that are sort of there by default and being, like, why is that always there? You know, why do we have grinding, fighting monsters to level up? These aren't things that are inherently bad. I mean, like, I remember the game that really caught my attention after Undertale was Persona 5. And I remember thinking, like, that game, you're weirdly doing similar things where you can, like, talk to monsters and try to recruit them to fight yeah. for you. Uh, but, like, a lot of it is just, like, mindlessly killing a bunch of monsters and being like, hell yeah, I'm the good guy, you know, like, posing with your friends. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ew, like, this is this would be the bad route of Undertale, you know? <laughs> but I just think, like, one of the many reasons why Undertale avoids being sort of like a one-trick pony or or all building up to a twist of, like, oh, you were the bad guy or this is bad is is the fact that it's sort of questioning, I think, like games as a whole in a way that feels insightful, at least to me. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, you have you have like the Bioshock of it all, right? You have the Hotline Miami of it all, the Spec Ops, the Lion, which are like a lot of instances where you're not really given choice and not really given like agency to actually make the decisions. They're just assuming that you'll do the thing that you always do in video games and because of that they're able to like dunk on you and be like hey don't you suck don't you feel like shit now because you <laughs> the only thing that we allowed you to do right i do i i appreciate that undertale gives you that option you know as we're about to talk about the pacifist route for this game but there's another one that is like a no mercy route which is pretty fucking brutal that you can go and do and you're you're given the agency to make all those choices for yourself and the game will the game will ask you constantly how you feel about that decision but as much as i th this is this is the thing that i've been kind of struggling to put into words because i i didn't want to just come into this episode and just be like isn't it cool that you don't kill anybody in this game and then that's what the game wants you to do because like that's not that's every conversation about this game you know like that's that's every conversation i feel i feel like that's like the top level thing about undertale it's literally the title of the thing that they put on the kickstarter you know yeah so the, the thing I've been thinking about is like, what does it all mean outside of that, really? You know, I, I feel like on a high level, what Undertale is trying to do is use this breaking of expectations and game mechanics and, and the specific ways in which they are breaking those uh, those conventions and saying like, hey, come at this experience, come at this fight with a monster a different way than you ever have before. And you might come out like sparing their life and teaching them something about themselves, you know, for most, if not all 
monster encounters that you have in this game where you're able to spare them you actually do like make their life a little bit better or, like make their day a little better in some way yeah. shape or form all of the boss monsters that you go and fight if you can spare them they become your friends and you can call them on the phone hang out with them and like go out on dates and whatever like you, you, there's a a billion rewards for doing all that so the game is essentially saying like, hey, you can you can look at this in a new way and you'll come out, you know, with, with a more rewarding experience than if you had just fought all this stuff. And it really just I, I know it sounds like trite and simple and whatever, but I, I really do think the whole game is just trying to teach people how to be better people like the game, like outs, outside of like all the ways it's subverting games, how much is commenting on video games like what Toby Fox wants people to walk away from this game with is like this is this is how to treat people. Just like meet them on their level, be nice to them, give them the things that they want and they'll do the same to you. In this case, they won't kill you. But in most cases, like, you know, (laughs) like how to how to find a healthy relationship is to just have this kind of like reciprocation of respect back and forth. And this understanding that like you're both just trying to make it. And that that's my big takeaway from Undertale, I think, especially after this route. Um, And I. I I find that to be really, really striking. I think I mentioned this on a recent episode, but I recently saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is like a movie that like will really mess you up if you haven't seen it. And it is absolutely wild. I don't want to say too much, obviously, for spoiler reasons, but like it's a movie about the multiverse. It's a movie about um, a person who's like making their way through a multiverse and seeing a lot of versions of their life and how it could have gone in all of these like absolutely wild scenarios. And it just feels I mean, it feels like what the title is. It's everything is everywhere. It's all at once. It's just like sensory overload. But at the end of the day, that movie is just about like being good to one another and like finding love in your relationships. And like that's that's a wonderful thing. And that's it's it's really, really nice when something just boils down to something so simple, but does it so effectively that you feel it, you know, because like, yeah, you and I could just sit here and and I could just say to you like, Hey, be a good person. And like, that's, that's a cool thing when you hear it, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I should be a good person. You're right. But when you feel that internally, like when you feel that really deep down, I think that that's the most, that's the most rewarding a story can be in a lot of cases when that is the message and you actually agree with it, like in your core, in your soul even. And I think that undertale really fucking nails it on that front. Yeah, I think especially weirdly enough, I think like the path to becoming Undine's friend felt the most like central to that message of like Mm. how to be a good person, how to meet someone where they're at. Because I think with that, like like Metaton is great and I I love them. They're the star of the game, the star of my heart. But they they feel like kind of in another dimension in terms of like, you know, like how the player relates to Metaton in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like obviously there's there's more human elements to them, but like, you know, a killer robot that wants to be a movie star is like a more fantastic idea. Then obviously Undine is this royal guard in this fantasy kingdom of of knights and monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that like she's the first boss monster who is extremely hostile towards you and even after you have spared her she doesn't want to know you she doesn't want to get to know you yeah she doesn't want to be friends and i feel like the it's almost undine questioning the mechanics of the game where she's like you know before the fight she's like oh i'm not i'm sick of your like saccharine i hug everyone shit like i don't buy it for a second yeah you know 
and it really takes you going to her house <laughs> it's it's such a funny scene but uh you and papyrus go to her house and papyrus knocks on the door and she goes hey papyrus ready for your exclusive one-on-one secret training and he goes yep and i brought and a i friend. brought a friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's you and like that moment of tension of like oh okay and and i don't know i mean it, it's a it's a very comedic scene and when you get to know her you're like you know, essentially the way it progresses is Papyrus is like, okay, you're not up to the challenge to be the human's friend. She's like, oh, it's a challenge. Bring it on. I'll be their best friend. We're going to drink tea. And like everything is like extreme. So you're cooking together and like the house is burning down and like Mm -hmm. everything is broken. It's so funny. But the moment that sticks with me is that after all that, she's like, who am I kidding? Like we are literally designed to hate each other. Like let's go back to fighting. And prior to that, she reveals like she reveals her friendship with Asgore and like them like training together and the fact that like he refused to fight back. Mm -hmm. It's very much like just classic, like, you know, the forgiving of one's enemies, like that selfless love to another of like, I will, despite like what you're throwing at me, I will try to think that deep down you can do better. It's really powerful. I think that that message is one of the many reasons why me and so many others have like walked away from this game with like such a personal attachment to it because it feels so open in that way. And like all these really truly ridiculous cartoony characters all have something very personal they're going through. And when you befriend them, it's not just because you dodged attacks and hit a button. You you've learned what makes them who they are and what they want out of their life. It's very similar to three houses and persona where like those games are based around getting to know characters and your relationships with them aiding the rest of the game. And undertale is secretly that, but rather than the relationships aiding the rest of the game, the goal is that the goal is getting to know these characters in spite of it being a game, even, you know, that's kind of like how I feel is like the, the combat and the, RPG side is like almost a distraction to just learning the cast and learning about this world and and what the characters want out of their lives. Yeah, because just like in real life, you have to go significantly out of your way to get those experiences. You know, you have yeah. you have, like you could just go through the neutral route, just go from point A to point B. Everybody tells you you got to go kill Asgore, and then you you know you go do that whole fight, whatever. And then the game is over, and you know, maybe at that point, Flowey is like, hey, come back without killing anybody. And like, maybe we can talk again, et cetera. And then, <laughs> and then you could go through the whole route a second time and try and not kill anybody the whole time and like still miss a bunch of stuff because you didn't go out of your way to actually befriend people, to like actually put the time and effort in that it takes to break through somebody's wall and like find out who they are really. Um, and I, I think just like the way that this game is able to to serve those themes up on a platter against a thing like hotline Miami, which is a game I like loved when it first came out. And over the years I've slowly started to kind of walk away from is like those games just kind of break conventions just for the sake of doing so. Like they, they they criticize game conventions, but don't don't offer a path forward. It's, it's very similar to like, people who just like continually point at a problem and and never come up with a solution um obviously there are situations in which that is the move but <laughs> undertale takes right. this idea of subverting player expectations in terms of what mechanics are and what they mean and instead actually presents like a new path forward 
And by doing so, I think kind of illustrates the larger theme of like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to actually do in your day to day life, man. Like you're actually supposed to go out into the world and like not just do the exact same rote routine you've done every day for your entire life, but like try and expand your horizons, try and meet new people, learn new points of views, new ideas uh, and 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 befriend everyone. That's yeah, that's what life is all about. I'm I'm so glad that's the message you took from it. That's so that's so beautiful. And again, it is it is like it, it might sound trite on paper, but that is really the feeling you get when playing this. This might be a good time to maybe pivot to like the route itself, if you don't mind. Once Flowey is like, hey, try not killing anyone, or uh you've already not killed everyone. They're like, try going back to Alpha's lab. <laughs> if you do that, there's a new section of the game that opens up where essentially as you exit the core to go back to the Metaton Hotel, Undine calls you um, and she asks you to meet her in Snowden with Papyrus uh, and she has a letter for Alphys and there's a really cute scene that happens where essentially Undine is asking you to send a letter to Alphys that kind of shares her feelings for her and then, you know, Alphys and Undine kind of uh, meet in, I think it's in the garbage dump, but they had this like yeah. really touching date together. Two of my favorite moments in this route are Alphys kind of comes clean to Undine about like what she's lied about. And she's like, I was worried you wouldn't like me if, if I didn't say this about myself. And if you learned who I really was, you would hate me. And all the all the human history videos we watch were just anime. That's not <laughs> real human history and all this and this and this. And Undine is like comforting her. But then she like throws her in the garbage and is like, you've got it. I'm going to start. Like, I love you for who you are and you've got to start believing in yourself and I'm going to help you do that. I want to help you love yourself. It's such a great scene. And then just the the cherry on top is un, is Alphys being like, you'll do that for me? And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Papyrus is going to do it. Yeah. And then he just shows <laughs> up and is like, we're going to go jogging saying how much we love ourselves. It's so good. I mean, it is such a reward for like kind of unlocking who these characters are, you know, like the reality in which you would guess this scene would happen when you first saw Undine walking around in like scary armor is non-existent. Mm. You know, you would end up crashing a date in the garbage dump with them. Like you would never think that was going to happen, but like that's the magic trick of the game. I think that also leads into like the kind of dark evil lab. Yes. Of Alphys's, which to me, this, this to me is the biggest fumble of the whole game. This to me, I really? Think- Oh, yeah, th- this I found this bit to be like mostly mostly appalling in a way that I, I was really surprised by. Like, it really feels like it misses the mark so wildly um, that it re- it really was like kind of shocking. So you, you make your way into this lab, which is essentially like a place where it's pretty clear that they were like doing testing. Alpha specifically was like testing on monsters, uh, doing a bunch of wild shit learning that like okay determination quote unquote is like the thing that's you know fueling humanity's drive to to continue existing um it's, it's like uh, hypothetically the reason that you're able to like reload save files and stuff is is this idea of determination there's this whole idea that like a human soul is more powerful than a monster soul but what if we you know took monster souls and like multiplied them or what if we took determination and tried to inject that into a monster what if we took a monster that was dead and tried to bring it back to life there's all these wild experiments that are happening and you have to fight these things that are called like amalgamations which are like just kind of these really horrifying 
horrifying monsters. I mean, like actually, yeah. like like really, actually, like pretty pretty gruesome shit is yeah. going on in here. Uh, that that one thing where it's like the dog. I forget what it's actually called, but like there, there's the dog that has like the dogs in the negative space in its tendrils. It's like yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so lot. scary. It's like, re- it's real. There's a lot going on here, which I thought was all like interesting. Like, I thought this was all like pretty good. And the way this ends is you make your way up to a machine. I, th- I forget what I forget the reason you're at the machine. I don't even remember. I'm so like blinded by like all the wild lore shit that's happening, all the weird monsters. But like you go to turn a machine off or something. And that's when Alphys shows up and is like, oh, shit, I can't believe you're here. This is really not good that you're seeing all this. And is essentially like. I have huge regrets about all this. I, I don't like the way this has gone. I think this was a mistake. I come down here to like feed the amalgamations and then they like run off. Like they, they get like upset when I don't feed them. And she's like, I'm going to now be more honest with everybody and with myself about the mistakes that I've made. And uh, that's my character arc. I'm good now. Everything's cool. <laughs> and I I put my foot down in this moment and was like, no, I I have bought everything that this game has been giving to me. This is the one moment where like I you you can't just like quip away this whole thing that I've just learned about you as a character. Like I understand that this is the underlying reason why Alphys is like so nervous about accepting herself and and everything that's going on in her life. This is like the root cause of why she is the way she is, but it's also like absolutely horrific. It's one of the most horrible things in this game. And it can't just be like excused the same way some of the other stuff can, you know, like Undine, for example, like trying to hunt down humans and like generally not succeeding as far as we know, because I'm pretty sure Asgore is the one who's actually killing all of them. Yeah. Like, you know, her her turn is fine. Like her turn makes sense. It works like there's there's an arc there that ends with you being friends that like is cool and good. Papyrus obviously can't hurt a fly. That's why Undine is teaching him to cook instead of. (laughs) had a fight um but the expectation of the game for us to walk away from this experience with alphys and this this whole like dark evil underground lab and be like i can still look at this character the same way i have been does not fly for me like in the slightest huh i i think i disagree a little bit i definitely get where you're coming from and i think it's definitely like is a tonal shift for the game up until that point. It almost feels like it's the part of the game that is the most beholden to Earthbound because in all the mother games, there's a lab sequence and a lot of the amalgamations look like Earthbound enemies. There's one that looks like uh, Gygus, like the the swirl. The reason I'm a little bit less critical of this is that it clearly was an accident. Like if you read all the wall, like journal entries, it details the process of like this whole thing began on request of Asgore to find a way to sort of figure out how they can escape. So essentially all the monsters that were brought to this lab to inject with determination seemingly were all dying. I'm not excusing uh, Alphys's research, by the way, uh, but like the way I interpreted it was that like she was given monsters that were dying to try to find a way to escape on the order of Asgore. So I kind of like lumped this more with Asgore's sins too. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like it had this horrible after effect, like determination seemingly was able to bring back the human body because the soul of a human was essentially indestructible. That doesn't really apply to monsters. It just sort of turns them into like goop when they all combine. So like, I guess like it seemed like she's definitely not innocent. And that's, I think again, why she has the guilt she does, but I didn't really 
see it entirely as her fault as much. And I think also the big thing, the big reveal for the lab for me was the fact that like, this is also what created flowey, <laughs> you know, yeah. with the using the flower as a, as a vessel for the soul. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely know where you're coming from, but I think like the journal entries, I think helped me prepare for that a little bit more. So I was like more willing to forgive Alphys because it seemed like a accident based on just how desperate like monsters were to escape. But I know what you mean. It is, it is like a whole segment based on someone's sins <laughs> yeah. and then you're immediately like yeah you're good I, yeah. I, I know i know where you're coming from i i think specifically this idea that like she's taking monsters that are on their deathbed and trying to save them is nice but also this conceit that like well she injected them with determination and now they've turned into these like amalgamous goopy husks that are like shadows of what they once were that just like live in a dark basement and like feed doesn't seem like life to me you know like that yeah that that feels worse in some ways it's pretty rough i i i found that part to be pretty rough i was surprised specifically to find it in the pacifist route also i was like surprised that this is like the happy ending route is is the one where i learn about all this <laughs> i think and th this is a, a bit dark so just like a slight content warning but it it feels like in all other routes it seems to be implied that alphys is suicidal over this. Mm. Um, like, it, like you know, they mentioned that she is gone and that, like, you know, even the letter you find before you get into the lab, like, kind of mentions that. So mm. that, that I think, was enough for me to, like, realize the, the toll this is taking on her and her inability to make a decision of, like, do I tell the families what happened or do I just, like, pretend nothing's happening? But it, it didn't give me as much pause for whatever reason. I think I was just, like, excited to explore a new place but um I, I think the other thing too about that section is like as much as i love the the lore about like the creation of flowey and what determination means like it's almost a little too much it's like almost metachlorians <laughs> what i find more interesting is that human like the idea of a human in the world of undertale is the player you know like humans mm. are people playing the game and that's pretty clear without it being explicitly said. I don't really, yeah. I think buying the idea that determination is like a fluid you can inject into a frog. <laughs> that I actually have more reservations with that idea than like the forgiveness aspect of it. Mm. So, but I, I think you're right to point out that section is like at least something that doesn't really fit in with the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, whether or not, you know, you think it's like, too much to forgive Alphys for or just like too much lore that's confusing. Yeah, it's 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 one of the weaker elements. What happens after this, though? I, th I think that's that's just when you make your way back to Asgore, right? Yeah. So once you're done with the lab and, and I think really what this is, too, is like with, you know, in, in the neutral route, you can theoretically befriend Papyrus, Undine and Toriel in a sense where, you know, you have that bittersweet moment before you leave so like when you open the game you see them on the menu screen but i don't think you can you can get like alphys is still kind of locked off to you until you get the full pacifist so once you get that you finish that section you go back on the elevator and then you get a call from a voice you don't recognize that says like you've done well i'll see you soon mm, right right and at this point it's been kind of revealed that the all the lore in the lab one of the things revealed is that like it goes a little bit more into detail about the event where Toriel and Asgore's son, Asriel, 
was killed alongside the first fallen human, which essentially started the war, if I'm understanding correctly. Like, Mm -hmm. that moment is the reason why there's this, like, division between monsters and humans. I interpreted that in the lab, like, one of the things that Alphys is trying to do is to bring their son back, and they use the flower as a vessel for their soul. Yes. Which led to Flowey. So when you're in the elevator, I think the voice is Azriel being like, in a moment of of being able to contact you, is like, you've done well. I'm excited to see you again. But then when you get out of the elevator, it's like full of vines. So you're like, okay, it's Flowey. Yeah, right. And you make your way back to Asgore, similar to Neutral Route. They're like, oh, it's nice to see you, but I have to kill you. Sorry. But when the fight starts, it very similar to the very beginning when Toriel saves you, you see a little fireball. And it hits Asgore, um, and Toriel is like, dude, that guy sucks. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and she essentially is like, you know, I was worried about you, and I, I came to see how you're doing. And I realized the moment you left our home that you two would have to fight. You know, you would either be killed by Asgore or you would have to kill him. Right. And I know that even though Asgore is a terrible person, he still also deserves mercy. Um, and you know, I wouldn't want you to have to take his life. Um, and then everyone else shows up. So then it's like Undine being like, Hey, no one fight. And they talk and then Sans and Papyrus show up and Alphys. And it's this like idyllic, like everyone is there to to prevent this encounter from happening. And it's kind of shitting on Asgore, which is so funny. Everyone's (laughs) like, I think Undine's like, dude, this is brutal. Like, (laughs) is that your ex? Um, and, uh, you know, it's implied earlier with the scene with Sans at the dinner table that like he mentions making a promise to someone to protect you and they would tell knock knock jokes through the door that that was Toriel. Yeah. So they meet and that's a fun moment where they're like texting bad jokes to each other. So it seems like everything is good and everyone's like, OK, we prevented the fight from happening. And Toriel is like, you know, you've made all these great friends I think you'll be happy here. Like, you don't have to leave now. We can just, like, make this work. But then they're like, wait, why did we all know to come here? And Papyrus says, a little flower told me. And it, it, it's implied that, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but as you play the game, there's a random chance. Like, every now and then you'll see Flowey, like, pop up in the ground. It doesn't happen, like, every time. But I noticed there was one time where I, like, went back in Snowed In. And I saw Flowey like pop up very briefly. Like Whoa. it really scared me. Yeah. No, I have not. So noticed that. it seems to be implied that like a lot of times when like Papyrus calls you, I feel like Flowey is communicating to Papyrus sometimes. Like I feel like they they know he's gullible enough that they can just like tell him stuff. Yeah. So in this case, it happened. Flowey told Papyrus to come here. And then Flowey shows up and, you know, the vines grab everyone and they're like, you idiot, I'm going to kill everyone. You know, I'm going to I'm going to hold the end of the game in front of you over and over again. And that way you'll never leave. You'll never get the happy ending. Yeah. But your friends with the little strength they have, they they hold Flowey off. And honestly, it's a really it's a really great scene. I mean, it's hard to really capture without it sounding corny. But like at this point, you've gotten to know these characters so well that like to see them in danger at this point when likely you've played the game twice to see the happy ending. Right. You're so frustrated and so angry at Flowey that like seeing them be able to hold their own is really encouraging. And then all the monsters show up to like back you up, which is a great moment. But then Flowey is like, okay, cool. And I'm just going to kill everyone, get everyone's souls. Uh, <laughs> and that's what happens. And 
they turn into their true form, which is Azriel Dreamer, the son of Toriel and Asgore, and the final fight begins. Yeah. I I love this so much. This this finale. I remember like when you first played Undertale when we started the show and like you kind of reached a point where you bounced off of it. I always want to avoid like forcing media on someone else and, and like, you know, it's like just because I had this experience doesn't mean I have to like force someone else to have it. But this finale is so beautiful that I'm like, I really need Brendan to see this. <laughs> and I'm glad you finally have. Yeah. It's uh it's very good. I so the bit you're talking about where where um all the characters are like essentially roped up in in flowy vines that that was the moment for me which i know is much too late but that was the moment for me where i was like oh wow i really care about these characters a lot don't i <laughs> like yeah. like they really yeah they really sunk their teeth into me because i'm very upset that they are all in pain right now that really bummed me out and and i i do appreciate you know for all the stuff i was just saying about the like laboratory section i do appreciate that going into this you're like pretty aware that it's gonna be as real at the end here uh yeah. this fight is tough it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got one of my favorite moments where if you do die, your heart goes back and it says, but it refused, mm-hmm. which is a double meaning of like it literally refused, but also like rejected. Yeah. But the go- the going through each of your friends one by one uh, and like essentially like reclaiming their soul. Really cool. Really cool. That, yeah, th- that's that's the moment. So essentially the fight begins and it's like, you know, it, it's it's a really climactic song. It's, it's essentially this medley of like every song you've heard in the game with this like, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's really inspiring music. And even though it's like a very daunting moment, the music makes you feel like, okay, like we've got this. This is like yeah. the grand finale that I want to see as the player. Yeah, I mean, Asriel's throwing all this stuff at you and, and they're saying stuff like, you know, I'm just going to reset the timeline over and over again and like just sort of taunting you. They say some interesting stuff and I think they say some stuff that alludes to the other route we'll cover. Mm-hmm. The idea that like the player will never be satisfied. But in the moment, it's all just noise. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say my friends. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like sensory overload. Like I, I had to go watch this again on YouTube <laughs> after the fact to like even really like clock what had happened because yeah. it's like rainbows and like stars exploding and like you know like <laughs> the, the last level of sonic music playing um yeah exactly and uh essentially like when all hope seems lost it allows you to say like saving the game like you go to action and you can reach out to the souls of your friends within asriel and there's like little mini games to kind of like reconnect with them it's really touching because like they're referred to as lost souls and like you'll go to Undine and then Alphys and then Papyrus and Sands and then Toriel and Asgore in any order you want. But when they're like under the influence of Asriel, they're kind of speaking to their deepest insecurities. And there are some that like the, the one with Sands especially is, is haunting. Cause he's like, why even bother? Like I gave up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Papyrus is like, you know, I'll finally 
have respect and uh i feel like papyrus is like a wizard of oz character it's like you already have the fame like everyone loves you already you know you don't need any status like yeah. you're the star of this place but like that is the moment where like it is impossible not to cry like, I, I just <laughs> i thought i'd be cool i was like i'll play before we record and i was just like oh man i'm like sobbing this is a problem it's it's really moving and i think it, again it like seals the deal that in the final ask of the game more than you are fighting this like cosmic force you are comforting your friends through their like deepest personal trial you know you're, you're mm-hmm. really like face to face honestly being told like what is it that bothers this character and how can we like work through that yeah it's 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 so touching and then it eventually leads to you doing that with Azrael and like reaching out like what is what is their problem? What was haunting them this whole time outside of not having a soul and being a flower? And their whole thing is that they missed the first human. They didn't want the human or the player to ever leave. So in a weird twisted way, all these like evil machinations were just to ensure that the person playing the game would never stop playing, yeah. which is really brilliant. I mean, it's it's done in a way that makes sense with the lore of the game with like, you know, these, the, and this is where it feels very mother three as well with the, the two brothers sort of thing, or the siblings mm-hmm. where like one is sort of the fallen child. I, I found that really moving. And the fact that like this, this creature that feels beyond redemption does have a part of them that you can eventually reach if you commit to that ideology through the whole game. Yeah. I, um, it, it's, it's one of those, interesting thing so there's the whole reveal right that you're not the first human right that like yeah that you named a character that is dead essentially the first fallen child yeah yes uh the when you create a character at the beginning of the game and you type a name in like you're not actually playing as that person you're that that person is long gone you're playing as a as a kid named frisk yeah and this this idea that that asriel has just been like has just been kind of like so upset about the way that has gone, which I I don't think we've said explicitly, but there's this idea that like the human was dying. Asriel used the soul of the human essentially to like break the barrier to try and like bring the human back to their village and essentially like put, put the human down on the ground and then was like chastised by the village and the village, the villagers were like, what the fuck? We had a whole war. Why are you here? There should be no monsters. That was immediately assumed that he was evil, which I, I understand how that would be a motivating factor towards becoming a villain. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That why, why you would mistrust all humans from that point going forward. I think that's pretty upsetting, but this conceit that they specifically like, they hate humanity, but also need you is, is really um, is, re- is it's a really tough square to circle, I think, in, in, in a lot of cases. I think it goes back to Toriel projecting because, like, you know, eventually now you know that like Toriel and Asgore both lost their children. So it makes sense that when you show up, she's like very eager to sort of project that role onto you. And Flowey slash Asriel is doing the same thing where like they are pretending that you were that character you know that you were their best friend that they lost at that time which you know there's a lot of layers to that in terms of like what it means in the kind of a meta way what it means in the story of the game but they both work which is really fascinating so once you reach out to Azriel, they essentially kind of find their soul again and, and then they become like the child form of Azriel, and they 
you know, they, uh, similar to Alphys in some ways, they kind of like feel guilt for what they did when they didn't have a soul and they were a flower, uh, which makes sense. It's understandable. They did a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's a moment there and essentially they're like, okay, in this moment, everyone's soul is united as one. I'm going to break the barrier while I have control over myself. Um, and you can choose to comfort them or not, which is a really touching scene where you give Azriel a hug if you choose to. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, at that point, you probably will. If, if you are getting the full pacifist ending, you're not going to be like, no, ew. Oh, my God. Could you imagine not giving Azriel a hug? <laughs> um, but they break the barrier and then you wake up and, and truly Wizard of Oz, all your friends are like, hey, Frisk, where you been? There is this big tornado. No, it's not a tornado. There's this big white light and and we all passed out. We don't know why, but you're great. And it's just it's just like a great it's like exactly what you wanted. You have this moment with all these characters who all wanted to kill you at some point, who are now your friends, who are all bonding together and talking to each other, and you're seeing kind of how they operate as a group. And eventually Toriel is like, Hey, you've made a lot of other friends too. Why don't you go back and like check in with everyone and at that point you can explore this was so fucked up yeah you can explore the whole world and like literally everyone has something to say about the newfound freedom it's it's really moving in a way it reminds me this is maybe a bit of a leap but in death stranding you know when you at the end you go back through all the things you've made like you can go from coast to coast yes at the very end it feels like that where it's like you have made these connections to everyone in the game whether they were a boss or just like a weird monster you you walked past they all have a thought and an opinion and an idea about what this freedom will look like and what they want to do with it it's really touching it's like that i i went all the way back to the very beginning and if you do asriel's there and you can talk to them more which is cool but it is kind of funny though at the like at the end of their dialogue they keep saying don't you have anything better to do? Which is what Flowey yeah. said to you. Yeah. yeah. But I, I really liked this ability to like really truly feel rewarded. And also like this is where it feels like, you know, in order to kind of leave this behind, like you want to make sure you reconnect with everyone. So you're like, okay, like this is what I did for this place. I can move on as like a player of this game as well. Yeah. I f- first of all, like I, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was by the fact that you could go back through the entire game and talk to literally everyone again. That was pretty wild. I was also specifically shocked at the ability to talk to all your friends in that last area. Like when they're all just kind of like standing in a semicircle and there's that whole bit where like Toriel and Sans are texting back and forth. You can like you can like keep leaving the room and text them and like that conversation will go on for a while. But also just exhausting all of the dialogue yeah. between those characters takes like almost a half an hour. <laughs> there's yeah, like, it's a lot. It's actually like almost 30 minutes of dialogue that happens like before you even see the actual ending of the game. Like that's just like the prelude. So there's this half an hour of text between these like, I don't I guess it's like six characters total. And yeah. then there's also the, I can walk back through the entirety of the game and talk to everybody and they all have new dialogue. Like that's shocking to put that amount of effort just into yeah. this one bit of the game. But Absolutely. I under, I mean, it's players want that. People want that. Like in that moment, like that is the reward, you know, especially yeah. if you're not going to go and do the the third route. Like this is the reward. This is the end of the game. You know, you you want you want to see how your actions have influenced the world. And they sure did. 
It also feels like it's the first time you see the world clearly. Like you don't see the world through the lens of the game anymore. You're just able to exist as part of it. And I think I've been thinking a lot about the reveal of the player character being named Frisk and like what that means and why the name we chose isn't the character. And at first I'm like, does that mean that like these connections were not ours? And I don't think Mm. that's the case, but I think that really what the game is saying is that like, the player character two is a character that will have their own life that exists after this. You know, they have their own story that will happen. Yeah. We have had agency over them in a way that is almost unfair to the character. Mm. Now they just get to exist in this world they helped create. Yeah. So I think that like in order for the player character to truly have a happy ending that needs to exist independent of the player, you know, it's like, we almost like disconnect and, and not to say too much, but Deltarune seems to be specifically about that idea. Yeah, like for Deltarune real. is extremely yeah. <laughs> focused on that specific idea of Undertale. But that's how I read it, at least. I don't know if you had a different read on the on the Frisk reveal. No, no, the exact exact same vibe. Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest moment for me, I think the thing that really drives us home, if you don't mind my skipping ahead. Sure. There's a bit where you and all all, all of your friends leave. You go through the barrier, and you're watching the sunset. And people one by one start to like leave and go do things that they have to do. Um, and Toriel gives you the option, which I was surprised was an option because this felt this felt like there's only one way this could go. Like to, to pick the other option really would be like, I, I would say like betraying what the character's actual motivations are. Um, but Toriel gives you the option is like, hey, do you want to do you want to like go back home or do you want to like stay here with us? Like, do you want to stay with the monsters? Um, and you obviously should pick stay with the monsters because I, I think the big thing, the big like kind of lingering thought, especially as you start to get a little bit more background, there's not a lot. There's like maybe like five lines of text throughout the entirety of this game that really allude to this. But like the mountain with the hole at the top where now seven kids have fallen down or like seven human souls have fallen down into the monster realm you don't climb that mountain and jump down that hole if your life is going great like you don't yeah like there's there's got to be there's got to be a pretty dark re- like you don't just trip and fall into that hole i guess is the point i'm trying to make like there there are legends amongst the humans that say that like if you climb up that mountain you don't come back you know like that's that's just how it works and this idea that like frisk doesn't have a home to return to really like Frisk doesn't want maybe Frisk does have a home to return to, but they sure don't want to go back that, that, yeah. that was a moment that like really landed in a way that I was kind of surprised by specifically because like, I, I think, I think the end of this game does kind of have kind of like a saccharine twinge to it in a way that I, I think is earned and works like to be clear. I think it's good. I don't, I don't mean that as like a, a dunk in any way, shape or form. No, I know you mean though, but, yeah. but that, that specific question being asked was this kind of like, Oh shit, snap back to reality moment of like, this isn't like, yes, this is the true pacifist ending. It's the happy ending. We did it. This is cool and good, but that doesn't mean that everything is perfect. You know, like th- there's a lot of work that needs to be done after this, th- this, this, unleashing the monsters back into the world like that doesn't automatically mean that everything is okay and that that's actually if you go back to the very you know when when toriel says like you can go and talk to all your friends if you go back to the very beginning where you fell and Azriel's there that's kind of what they say they're like yeah. like be careful in the world outside like it's not like here where you can just 
be nice and things work out. Like there are a lot of flowies out there. Right. And they say, don't kill or be killed. That's like what you can strive for. But they kind of say like, there might be times where you might have to fight, which is, which is interesting to like, yeah. And again, going back to the, the idea that like the lesson of this game is to be a good person. I think in that moment, Azrael is like saying, you know, the world outside to me is like our world. It's Azrael being like, you know, Undertale logic doesn't apply to Earth logic. Like sometimes there are scenarios mm-hmm. where you can't just talk or flirt your way out of it. You might right. have to take a stance, but you can still aim to be a good person. Yeah. Which is beautiful. It's it's so funny hearing you say that because my the first time I played, I went with places to go. So I was like, my whole my whole mission has been to get the hell out of this place. Oh, that's so I got places to go, baby. And uh what happens? All that happens is that rather than the final, so like, you know, there, there's this really beautiful scene after you've talked to everybody and you all leave. It's you standing with all the boss monsters on the surface, seeing the sun for the first time. It's a really great moment because none of them, seemingly Sans the only one who knows what the sun is, but they're all like amazed by it. Yeah. And uh, basically everyone goes in their own direction. Um, and then it's just you and Toriel and she asks you if you want to stay with her or if you have places to go. Um, if you choose places to go at, after the credits, um, you just get like a sepia photograph of you with everyone. So it's mm. like, you know, here's, it's, it's, it's still a happy ending. It just sort of like you went away and you did something else. But the other ending is you are sleeping in your bed and Toriel brings you the slice of pie, which is like, that's the ending you want. That's the, that's like the full totally. circle. Yeah, I do, I do like when you tell her that that uh, you want to stick you want to stick around. She's like, why didn't you say that from the beginning? Why did, <laughs> she's like, why did you leave in the first place? It's really good. She's like, it's a good thing you you took a while to change your mind because none of this would have happened. Yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And I mean, it, this is also like I think it's often called true because this is the one ending where you get credits. You know, mm-hmm. you get like a full triumphant music, the same music that played with the Asriel boss fight. You can do like it's like a fun bullet hell with the credits yeah and it's just it's just it's like such a cathartic experience and i think like for a game that likely wants you to just put it down after that you will feel like full after that most likely you'll be like okay i did it i saw it Mm -hmm. and that that is i think for all you could argue about which is the true ending i think that this is like the fact that there are credits here and what the game is trying to teach the player and what the game is trying to say as a piece of art like this is the ending they want you to see. Yeah. This is the ending that the game and that Sans specifically is kind of pushing you towards seeing. Right. Yeah. So with that, there is another route. There is. <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll probably lightly touch on it. I don't know how long that will be. I didn't play it. Yeah. I watched some of it on YouTube and it was pretty rough. I have played it and I'll explain how I did it uh in the next section <laughs> okay uh so i i got some secrets to reveal but uh yeah why don't we touch on that and then do questions after that yeah that sounds good sounds good i'll see you soon all right goodbye bye-bye And we are back, uh, and there is one more route of the game to discuss. I think this will probably be a shorter section, but as we kind of creepily alluded to, 
there is an entire version of Undertale that exists if you commit to doing the exact opposite of what the game is telling you. Uh, if you go out of your way to kill every monster, you essentially get the evil route of the game. It's sometimes referred to as the genocide route or the no mercy route. We're just going to call it the evil route because I don't really like saying genocide. Yeah. Um, it, it feels a little disrespectful in some ways. Yeah, totally. So I just say that because like, if you look up the game, like you'll see that. Like That's normally used. That's, that's what like the fandom has decided to call it. And that Which is yeah, kind of strange. Yeah. yeah, but I think just saying evil or no mercy works for me. So that's what we'll also, call it. Also, just to clarify a thing. When you say like kill every monster, I didn't I didn't realize this until like I didn't play this one. I watched it on YouTube. I didn't realize this yeah. until I watched it that it's re- it's like every monster. Like it's it's going around in areas where there are random encounter battles, and like anytime something shows up, you kill it, and then eventually things stop showing up in random encounters. Like yeah. you have to go so out of your way to get this yeah. ending. It's wild. It's really wild. There's no work you have to do to unlock this route. Like we mentioned with the full pacifist. You kind of had to complete the game first. Right. Um, And, you know, without knowing, like, if you're just going into this game blind, you're probably going to do what we said. We're like, you'll end up killing a few monsters here and there. Um, Yeah. Unless you're, like, completely believing in, like, that pacifism will work. Right. uh, Without being told directly by the game. Um, But this, like, you've got to completely miss what the game is telling you to the point where you're actively doing the opposite. So to begin this route. You have to stay in the ruins and grind until the encounters bring up a screen where it says, but nobody came and the music has changed to something really scary. Yeah. So if, if you accidentally stumble into this, the game actually offers you so many chances to like deviate from the course. Right. Like if you're on this route, like if, you, if you've unlocked the evil route and that's how the ruins are going, um, when you get tutorial and she tries to prevent you from leaving, she dies in one hit. And her line is different. She laughs nervously and says, I thought I was protecting you by keeping you here, but it turns out I was protecting everyone else. And then the title drops. Yeah. So like very different beginning. And then Flowey recognizes you not as Frisk, but as the character you named, the first fallen child, mm-hmm. and says something along the lines of like, let's erase these useless memories once and for all and turn them all to dust, uh, which is like so scary. <laughs> so... I think what's really brilliant, like I think there's a lot of discussion about whether or not this route should even exist because there's a version of the neutral route where like when you kill bosses in the neutral route, it's sad enough and it feels bad enough that like you're getting the lesson of the game and what the game is trying to communicate about like peace and what you're getting out of this particular experience. Yeah, I do think, though, that like the uh, the way that the pacifist route ends where like after the this fulfilling happy ending and then like you know it's like the ultimate conclusion if you open up the game again flowey says like hey it's almost like ferris bueller like you're still here like why you know like everything has a happy ending and flowey's like let frisk live their life let everyone live their life on the surface the only thing that stands in the way of their happiness is you um so like please just like move on (laughs) Um, And if I can't stop you, if you erase the game, I'll also lose my memories and I'll go back to being the evil flower I was. Right. You're literally undoing everything that you've set up for hours and hours and hours. And they mentioned like the power to reset. They're like, that's the power that essentially corrupted me and turned me into the soulless monster you have fought against this whole time. I think it's a really brilliant way to both 
directly tell the player to not do this route, but then it leaves you with the opening screen where either Flowey will be there or the monsters you befriended will be there and it's like happy music. And in this case, after the full pacifist ending, it's it's empty and there's creepy music and your two options are to continue, which will load your last save, in which case like you can play through the end credits again and explore the underground like you did or true reset. It's never said true reset before. So the game is almost like simultaneously telling you not to play it again, but it's also leaving these things in place that will test your morbid curiosity. And I think most people who have the determination, for lack of a better phrase, to (laughs) commit to seeing everything the game has to offer, even against what they want to do as a player Mm. like that is the driving force of this route it's not because you want to do it it's because you just think you need to because it exists and that phrasing is used by a lot of the characters the characters who are a little bit more self-aware are commenting on the fact that like what is to gain by doing this and as you play it the game makes it so unpleasant like the things that we have talked about that are like the heart of this experience are just not there. The music is distorted. You're not seeing any of the major plot beats. Sans and Papyrus, I mean, Sans actually warns you. He says, if first he gives you like a passive insult where he says like, my brother would really like to capture humans, so you might want to keep pretending to be one. Yeah. And then later uh, he says the classic, like, if you keep going this way, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. And he wasn't kidding. Like, it's truly a bad time in every definition. And then whenever you go to a save point, it just tells you how many monsters are left, which is like so sad and, and cruel. It also changes like every interaction you can have. Like the first shopkeeper isn't even there. This is a note that says, please don't hurt my family. And you can like steal all the money. And Papyrus spares you right away. He's like, I think you're on the wrong path and I will help you and be your friend. And like, so, you know, if if at any point you don't fully commit to this, it will revert back to a neutral route. So like... You know, there's a lot of variations on this where, like, you might keep doing this until you've reached a point. And I think if by any chance you've stumbled into this route by accident, the game gives you so many easy outs. Like, yeah, everyone is dying in one hit. Monsters who normally would attack you are, like, begging for mercy. Yeah, it can't even really be satisfying in that regard, right? Like, anytime you get into a combat, everything dying in one hit without really needing to do anything. I feel like even the person who does accidentally stumble into this route would be like, wow, this is not satisfying at all on like yeah. literally any level. You will feel empty. And and I think because of that, I don't think anyone really needs to play this route. Like if you've if you've done the other ones, I don't think you need to. I think if you're like curious you know, which is, again, that's like the leading pull of it. Really, for me, this experience just sort of reinforces the points of the other routes where it's like, you know, we we know what this game is trying to communicate and the heart of the game. And if you blatantly go against that, the game responds to that by just sort of being an empty and unsatisfying experience. Yeah. Really, the only parts of this route that are like fun are the Undine and Sans fights. To be clear, I also didn't do this initially. I played the game got the pacifist ending and then i heard about this route and you know there's so many like different youtube videos and streams of like what could happen in this route and it became almost like a creepypasta in some ways yeah and i was kind of repulsed by it and like didn't really want to but it was always sort of like i always felt like should i do it because just to say like i've done the whole game like am i missing a big part of it by not doing it 
and when it came out on switch i just sort of like pinched my nose and just dived right in like i was like i'm not even going to start the other routes because it will make it harder i'm just going to try to see if i can do it from go and i got to sands and then i just reset and flowey went really uh and there was no <laughs> consequence because it's worth saying if you do see it to the end it irreparably damages your game not to the point where you can't play it but the endings are forever different so the game never really forgets that you did this right and that seems to be what sans and his infamous difficult megalovania boss fight is trying to prevent he's like i know this is going to suck for you the player <laughs> like right. you don't want to see this what ends up happening at the very very end is uh you reach Asgore and Flowey kills Asgore like in the neutral route. But then Flowey says like, see, I can help you. And at this point, Flowey is scared that you're also going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And it's brutal because Flowey begs you not to kill them. And in that moment, their face turns back into Asriel. And then you just like out of your control, you see like the attack hit over and over and over again. And then you see the first fallen child who is the name that you gave yourself Mm -hmm. um canonically it's kara which is like the first part of character and they say something like you know your determination brought me back and uh the thing the line that stands out to me is like anytime a a number increases or a stat goes up that feeling is me let's erase this pointless world and move on and you can choose to erase or not but either way they essentially just destroy the world of Undertale and the screen is full of nines and the game crashes. And then if you load it up again, it's just a black screen with like wind and you have to wait 10 minutes until Kara just through text says like, why are you still here? You destroyed the world. Do you think you're above consequence? And the only way to bring the game back is to give them your soul, which is what causes the, the permanent change. If you give your soul away, the game can be played but the endings are always going to be like creepily changed mm-hmm. to like hint that like you can't really escape this route anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I think like I think it's really fascinating that it exists. I, I, I do go back and forth of like, you know, there's already the neutral route. There's already this version of the game where you do commit to fighting these characters and like you see the negative impact that has within the other route. Like, do we need this kind of excessively cruel and brutal route? And I think it really is just an extension of Toby Fox accounting for every possibility. And I think the yeah. fact that he makes it as unfun and sad and lonely as possible it makes the other route feel even more desirable and even more like okay i've like actually really learned my lesson because this sucks so much right (laughs) that being said the undine fight is like the only part that i really love because you see her become the hero that everyone believes her to be she's the only monster that can use determination to come back and she does it to stop you which is a really interesting concept of like the player becoming the villain and this character who we've grown to love who we had to like work to kind of connect with because of her hatred of humanity is now like firmly standing her ground and it's i mean that the music that plays in that fight is so good it's called battle against the true hero which is a nod to earthbound because all the battle music in earthbound is battle against a something like a weird opponent or a strong opponent so like i like the fact that you see different shades of other characters but like to player to watch it's kind of a miserable experience and again i think it really exists like as kind of a final warning of like what the game was trying to tell you not to do not that like you know i don't think there's any like character judgment of anyone who does this because it's part of the game and it's part of the experience if you want to see it but 
something I think back to, um, and I might have already said this, but I think it kind of relates to what I'm trying to communicate. Early on, like one of the first puzzles, there's a room that says, the far door is not an exit. It simply marks a rotation in perspective. And there are three switches to hit. And it essentially just changes the point of view of the room, but it's the same room. And to me, that's the three routes. Like all three versions of this game, despite the many variables, they're all trying to communicate an idea. And they all do it very differently depending on what the player does. Yeah. Uh, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. I'll, I'll say on a high level, watching this on YouTube sucked. Like even just like yeah. experiencing it in any form was rough. I can't even imagine playing it. I don't think I'd want to ever. I think the the thing that you said that is probably the most accurate way to describe this is like it's it really is just Toby Fox had to account for every variable. Right. And in this game where it wants to teach you to not fight and and to find a peaceful route through everything there needs to be an alternative to that right like you you have to assume that not every player is going to come into the game knowing that that's the case so they're going to probably end up killing a couple things and like head towards maybe a neutral route where you know at a certain point they'll learn but you also have to account for the person who just doesn't like you have to account for the person who like this just goes right over their head and they wonder why this game is so fucking brutal, you know, or the alternative to that. Also, there's another version of this where like a player is just coming in defiant and saying like, eh, fuck this game, you know, like jaded and shitty about it and like comes into this specifically to try and push up against that edge and be like, I'm cooler than this game and I'm going to prove it by killing everything. And the game responds to that outlook on life <laughs> and and on media by essentially just making like for a miserable experience. And as you're saying, there are, there are a couple high points, right? Like the Undine and Sands fights are like legitimately sick. But at the same time, the overall route is bad. And as you're saying, there are consequences to finishing it in the first place. So you'll never really be fully redeemed even if you go back and learn your lesson or try and do it the other way outside of that. So there's all of that, which I which I think is interesting. There, there's also the the aspect of like you were saying this this drive to want to see everything. You know, um, I, I think the, I think the game specifically doesn't want you to see everything, you know, like as, as we've said yeah. many times throughout this recording, the point of the game is to be OK with it being OK, right? Like to be OK with the ending that happens in the neutral or pacifist route and being like, this outcome is fine. I don't need to change this. I don't need to touch this. I don't need this to be malleable in any way. What I think is interesting about the the evil run is it's almost this like strange, weird reflection of the fandom to me in a, in a sense, like the, the fandom who like like famously has gone after streamers who are playing it, quote unquote, the wrong way or aren't taking the right lessons away or the people who go after each other for X, Y or Z reason, depending on like what ship they're into or something on Tumblr. Like there are like a million and a half different reasons that this fandom is at each other's throats for some reason or at the throats of randos. And the great irony to all of that is, first of all, the message of the game is like being nice and being kind and being yeah. a good person. <laughs> yeah. But also there's even this question to me, this like kind of overarching lingering thing that I, I've been really wrestling with this like version of, of a person who like loves a thing so much that they need to know everything about it, need to engage with every piece of it. The game is specifically asking you to not be like that. Like the game is telling you like, Hey, maybe like actually like obsessing over this thing isn't the healthiest thing for you. Maybe you need to be okay with like, you know, only knowing a fraction of it, like leave some parts blank. It's actually better for you if you get to like fill in some blanks yourself. And what I find so interesting about the fandom, which I don't think is inherently a bad thing, but I do think like kind of bumps up against what the game is trying to do is like 
the million and a half different alternate universe versions of characters that have happened, all of the different ships that people have come up with, uh, like the fan games that have come in to fill in blanks about what happens before and after and in between this game. Like these are all things that are strangely outside of the purview of what the game wants you to take away from it. Like the act of creating all that stuff, although it's like great, there's like legitimately great art. There are people expressing themselves in really cool and interesting ways through the lens of Undertale, all of that for some reason to me actually reads as like an incorrect takeaway from Undertale in a strange way. And again, I don't want to disparage anyone who's like expressing themselves through that lens, but like the game having this evil route and constantly being like, please don't play this, please don't play this, please don't play this. You don't need to know everything. And then to immediately go online and be like, I need to know everything. Those two things are combating with one another. Those two ideologies like can't coexist. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, the the fandom is kind of, I don't know, f- like fell apart in a, in a pretty major way. Um, it's one of the reasons why like there can never really be any consensus is because I think people took different things away from what Undertale is at the end of the day. And that's fascinating to me. I think that's like really wild. Like I, I think the most interesting studies that you can do on online communities, Undertale is a perfect case study of like a misreading of the text that's so great that, you know, the, the, the fandom itself can't even agree on like what it is and what it stands for and what it should be. And it really all stems from this evil route existing in the first place. You you asked me before we started recording, like, you know, or, or, or just mentioned, like, some people think that, like, this shouldn't even exist. And it has to because of, like, for game design reasons, remove the fandom, remove everything else. Like, thematically, it has to exist because Toby Fox is building up this game where it accounts for literally everything you do. There has to be a version where you see it through all the way or else the game isn't making good on its own promise, right? Like, it, it, just, ha- exactly. it just has to, like, uh, like, sustain but this larger thematic question or like this philosophical question of should it exist i think is a is a different thing entirely and that's what breeds the kind of weird communities we've seen i think there's a reason why you see the end credits in the full pacifist route and the game crashes and doesn't open immediately from this route (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's a pretty clear answer from the game of like what you should have done and yeah i think like what's what's interesting to me is upon playing it again there's a lot of foreshadowing of this route a lot of characters mention like when another human falls down maybe they won't be as nice or whatever or like there's the whole prophecy of the Delta Rune where an angel will come and free everyone. The turtle shopkeeper talks about this in Waterfall, where one reading of the prophecy is like quite literally someone will come down and free everyone. And the other one is that it will be like a, a mercy killing, like everyone will just die and mm. that's how they escape. So like, like going back to the change in perspective, like the game is like open to that happening because that's how we've been trained to play games. Right. Um, And again, I think the fact that it is so bleak, you know, when you play the other routes, like it's a truly like I laughed, I cried, I felt whole after experience. And this just feels disgusting, you know? Yeah. And not in a way that's like, I I don't think it's gratuitous necessarily, but I just think it's it's giving weight to what you're doing, you know? Right. Like, yeah. And I think even when you beat sans who's like the final final test and it, I, honestly if the song wasn't as good as it is when you fight sans i don't think anyone would have done this route like <laughs> toby fox kind of messed up making such a good song for that fight yeah <laughs> but even when you beat him it's like so sad like you don't feel like triumphant after that you're just like oh my god yeah he like dies off screen yeah yeah oh it's brutal but uh i mean it, it's cool to see i think what's interesting about that character is that like it's apparent that his quote-unquote laziness kind of stems from the fact that he knows about 
the ability of this game being reset. Yeah. So he has taken this sort of like approach to life that like it actually doesn't matter what I do because I don't have power over this universe in the way that like the human does. Right. He's kind of kind of like a Dr. Manhattan adjacent energy, but without the actual (laughs) powers of Dr. Manhattan, just the outlook on time. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting to see what what it takes for him to like take a stance and actually try to stop you yeah i mean he mentions like one of my favorite scenes in the other routes is when you have dinner together and he mentions the promise he made toriel to keep you safe mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. he's like that is the only reason you're alive like if if, I did, if she didn't ask me to take care of you this game wouldn't exist i wouldn't have allowed for this possibility to happen which is really i think it's fascinating like it also kind of this route's existence gives more credence to the monsters that are harder to connect with in the peaceful routes. You know, you understand why there's this fear and there's this like unknowable quality to humanity from the monster's perspective. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about how like the the stuff in the lab and like the idea of determination existing as like a liquid is like weird. Um, and like that kind of opens too many questions and it makes it too literal. But I think like the sort of um subtext of like we are characters in a video game and you are someone who can play it and turn it on and off and reset our entire lives like that to me is very interesting because they don't really spell it out like they're not like oh this is a video game you bought they're just like we are monsters in this world that is like within your power to control yeah it's really well done it just like yeah it's it's a and it's kind of interesting because i feel like i've had a lot of when this game came out a lot of friends who played it like were pressuring me to do this like yo you you can't say you finished it until you've done this and replaying it for this episode and like really thinking about that i don't think that's true i think the game is over when you decide it to be even if that's like in the neutral route i think the ending the true ending is whenever you put it down for your playthrough i agree i totally agree yeah i i i I don't i don't think again the the game is actively trying to get you to not play this route so to say that you haven't finished undertale unless you've done the evil route is is again like a misreading of what the game is and and to be clear, I I want I want to say this like as frankly as possible. If you play the evil route, like it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean no, like not at all. Do, it also doesn't mean you miss the point. It it exists to be experienced. There, yeah, it, exactly. It it exists, and therefore you can check it out if you want to. Like I'm I'm never gonna tell you to not check it out. But if you've played the first two routes and you have this feeling of like yeah maybe I don't need to see that, then like you don't need to see that because that's that's really what the game is trying to push you into. But if you're like I'm curious about it and I'm going to check it out. Then like, go for it. It's going to be rough, but go for it. I I wonder if like when I played it, if I didn't have this route spoiled, I wonder if I would have been able to like move on because I think it's easy to move on when you know that it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think again, I think that that's like most people are going to experience this route feeling awful about it, but being like, well, I'm in so deep. I might as well just like commit to this and see what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think in retrospect, I think we can say you don't need to do it, but I think that that feeling creates for a very interesting version of the game. Yeah. And again, it reinforces the other two ideas present in the other routes. Yeah. Two things. Number one, I initially expected or I initially yeah, expected myself to play this route for this episode. Like going in, I was like, I, I want to know everything there is to know about Undertale before we record for obvious reasons. I mean, it's a big game. Like I want I wanted to you know, give it its due. By the time I was done with the pacifist route, I was like, I am definitely not going to play this. Like I, I, I had completely 180 on that notion because I, I thought to myself, like, you know, I like this game enough from what I know going in. 
I don't know if I'm going to have like the same emotional connection that, you know, you or a lot of people I know have had with it. So I, I feel like I probably won't feel as bad going into the evil route and giving that a shot and like seeing what that has to offer just for the sake of like being prepared to record a podcast episode. And then again, yeah. by, by the time I finished the pacifist route, I was like, I love these people too much. I'm not going to murder them. <laughs> yeah. And then I then was like, really the back and forth of do I even watch it? And and there was a part of me that was like, the game is is begging me to not engage with this at all. Watching it is almost a betrayal of that as much as playing it in a way, because by watching it, I'm still finding out what happens, you know? Um, yeah. But again, for the sake of doing a podcast episode about it, I was like, I, I should be prepared. I should know what this is. I don't want to just hear it secondhand from you and be like, wow, that sounds wild. Like, I, yeah. I, I'd like to be informed and have thoughts about it. But that having been said, had I not been in a situation where I needed to play it for a podcast episode, I would not have done it and I would not have watched it. The creepiest thing about this route to me is we mentioned the the iconic moment of when you look in the mirror and it says, despite everything, it's still you. Yeah. In this route, it just says, it's me in red letters. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so scary. scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the like flavor text has changed. There's, there is a theory that the narrator of every route is the fallen child that like the fallen child has taken control over Frisk's body the same way that they tried to with Asriel when they like escaped the underground. Yeah. I don't really know if like it's that concrete. I do think there's definitely something about like the fact that we name the fallen child. I read that as like that's who we are for better or for worse. Like that's who the player is. We, mm -hmm. we died off screen um, and we came to the game for unknown reasons. And if we leave it, everything is fine. Yeah. And we are the last threat to everyone's happiness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that like, I see it more as like, I said this already, but much like every character in this game, whether they're a boss or a monster you randomly encounter, Mm -hmm. frisk the the main character also has their own life that they will live once the game is over you know like yeah. at least that's what's being communicated it's it's at the end of the day it's still a video game these are just fictional characters that you know it's not a real <laughs> living thing but it really does put you in that mindset of like by the time you're done this game you're like i want them to be happy forever you know like yeah. you you want them to have that permanence and it, it also drives the question of like you know what what stories happen when we leave the game? And again, that's like also weirdly reflected in the the fandom where like there's this inability to let it go, or at least there was. Right. Yeah. And again, like I no shade on loving something. I I if you listen to the show, I'm I'm a huge fan of a lot of things. And I've like <laughs> made media about things that I love. Like I've drawn characters I love and like that's just a part of like enjoying something and being inspired by something but then there's this sort of ownership aspect of it or like the you know it's the gatekeepy or like toxic parts of it that could be very off-putting yeah yeah i it, it's it's not hard to like map this onto a lot of other franchises right like star wars for example and and yeah. and, and the way the the fandom of star wars handles things and and how all of these blanks are being filled in through like au and now f like films and stuff and the gatekeepy sides of that fandom like it all it all feels kind of similar in that way um but the thing about star wars is that star wars isn't begging you to not answer those questions you know <laughs> yeah Right. Star Wars leaves all that stuff open and is like, yeah, we might get to this one day. Undertale is like, 
please no, this is enough. <laughs> I, lo- I love that scene where Kit Fisto walks onto the stage and is like, please let this go. But there's no, no more stories. The Star Wars are over. It's okay. You can move on. <laughs> let the star piece happen for once. Let the, let the star be yeah, for real. Where's star piece? Yeah. Um, oh <laughs> I can't. Despite everything, it's still Kit Fisto. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Kit. Um, <laughs> oh my god could you imagine if in the evil route you went up and looked in the mirror and it was like a pixelated <laughs> undertale version of Kit Fisto doing his smile looking back amazing the true lab is just the, the galactic senate you like, walk downstairs and you're like what the like fuck the ET guys yeah yeah <laughs> Anyway, I think that's probably all we have to say about this route. Unless you had anything more to No, touch. I don't have anything else about this route. I think it sucks. Ugh, P.U. No, it's cool that it exists. Honestly, yeah. like it's, it's cool that it exists. <laughs> uh, good good songs. The uh, Yeah, pretty good music. Love those tunes. Love those tunes. Okay, let's move on to questions. Yeah, let's answer some questions. See you soon. Goodbye. And we're back with the uh, not very commonly referred to fourth route of Undertale. That's right. It's the question and answer segment. <laughs> Honestly, that would be a Toby Fox move just to have like a strange interview, like as just like an optional place. You can, <laughs> I would you love can go. that. Yeah, there is there is technically a fourth route called hard mode, where if you enter your name as frisk i think it's either like you just play the demo or the game is like slightly harder but like there's not really a huge difference that's interesting um, that's very interesting. yeah yeah it, it, there's a lot of fun like if if you try to choose a name that is like in the game in some way there's like a bunch of different responses so mm. if you try to name your character sans you just hear sans say nope <laughs> that's really um, good i love that yeah it's it's a lot of fun yeah uh cool so why don't we get into the to the questions here? Um, these yes. are all from Twitter. Uh, thank you to all who asked. Let's get this started. At Albatross Soup asks, what level of knowledge about Undertale did you have before playing it? How did your knowledge or expectations affect your experience playing it? Great question. I think we covered this slightly already, but I went in pretty much as blind as possible. And I do think that really helped. I don't think if this game is spoiled for you, it's going to like ruin the entire experience. But I I do think it's one of those stories that is, I think you'll get the full impact of what the game is saying if you don't know its full reveal quite yet. Yeah, I think coming to those conclusions for yourself is more powerful than having it told to you. I'm actually almost bummed. I mean, I get why because it was on Kickstarter, but I'm almost bummed that the Kickstarter title was a game where not everyone needs to get hurt or whatever it was. Like, I, I I almost wish that that part of the game was hidden. You know, it's just like, oh, here's a cool RPG. But of course, like marketing needs to happen, you know, like, yeah, a, a game has to say what it is or else people won't buy it. Uh, but I, I really wish that this could have just been like a cool thing that was passed around, you know, <laughs> it's pitches a Seinfeld game. Like it's a game about nothing. <laughs> it's a game about nothing. nothing revealed. And then it's the secret like murder test. I would love that. Uh, yeah, I, I knew, um, essentially that much. I mean, I, I, I knew that the game was interested in giving you an option that wasn't just combat, um, which was why I wanted to check it out in the first place. Cause like I hadn't played a lot of 
turn-based RPGs and stuff. I hadn't played really anything that this game was pulling from for the most part uh, yeah. at the time that I first started playing it. And I was like, cool, well, if this is trying to subvert all of that, then maybe I'll like it was my thought. And uh, yeah, I mean, how did my knowledge or expectations affect my experience playing it? Uh, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then I put it down for several years until I <laughs> said to you, the only way I'm ever going to finish Undertale is if we do a bonus episode of that. And here we are. Yeah, this was your idea. I was I was very hesitant to bring it up again because I feel like this is like, I mean, it's, it's been a daunting game to cover, to be honest. There's so much to talk about. It's like a hugely beloved release. There's There's a bit of pressure, like internally and externally to like, you know, cover this in a way that does the game justice. But I'm really glad you recommended it because it's, it's just been like really, really cool to re-experience. This will probably be the last time I play it for a while. I don't really know. Like, I want to say it has good replay value, but it's hard to say that because the game doesn't want you to replay it. Um, <laughs> but like, it is a game that is worth re-experiencing. If it's been like a few years, I would say like pick it up on a new console and 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 play it again like the first time. Yeah, I totally agree. Moving on. Alyssa Frederick, how is it playing this game again? after playing mother three so i guess the game again is is more directed towards me because i had played it before but we can both talk about this because i think that like playing mother three for me like we said earlier i i think undertale and i think toby fox has been pretty open about the games that he was pulling from here i mean every game has inspiration and influence but i think that he wasn't shy about the games that kind of led to this i mean he's had he has a background in in doing earthbound rom hacks so i think that mother is is definitely the, the largest and loudest piece of dna in this game yeah but I, i've always really enjoyed I, I really enjoy in general tracing sort of the creative influence of a thing like i love hearing about what bands influence other bands and like kind of listening backwards and seeing like oh like who brought what and what was their version of the sound kind of thing it's not like you're directly copying it's, it's sort of like a flow of inspiration so all that to say like with mother three i think it was i definitely got the um surreal comedy of it i think both games do a lot with like very visibly strange characters who are speaking in ways that seem kind of like irreverent or random or like disconnected from reality but there's this sort of like undercurrent of commentary or sadness with the whole thing i remember uh will in our episode about mother three compared mother three to sufjan stevens and that the sound of the music is bright and happy and then the lyrics are like crushingly sad yeah um so i think like playing mother three after playing undertale and then playing undertale again i think that they're extremely different games but i i definitely thought it was cool to see the influence and also see some of the visual influence, like not only just in, in terms of the design of the characters, but like the symbolism of sunflowers and like mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. siblings, the fallen sibling. And I think that more than there is an influence, like I think Toby Fox is interested in like really diving into some ideas present in Mother 3, specifically the very, very end of Mother 3 where you talk to all the characters in complete darkness that that one scene where like you don't actually see anyone feels like it was the entire visual influence for undertale and like yeah. the the black backgrounds and white text yeah that was all really well said i don't have anything to add to that because uh, i would just ruin all of that that was really insightful let's move on to the next question <laughs> I guess the one, you know what, I, I'll, I'll say one thing and then we can move on. I do yeah. think my biggest takeaway from this experience, having played Mother 3 now and, and experiencing and liking that game a whole lot, is I feel like of the of the games Earthbound and Mother 3, 
Toby Fox is clearly pulling from Earthbound more aesthetically and Mother 3 more thematically. Yeah, totally. And I love that blend. Like that choice by itself is really, really, really cool. So, yeah, just, you know, hats off to Toby Fox. Good. Good at his job. Moving on. At Noah Hertz. Not to treat this like a discussion board, but yeah, absolutely this in relationship to the last question. Also, now that you guys have played more RPGs for the show, how does this compare to other games in the genre? That's a great question. And that's something where I I think if I had to limit the experience into words, like Undertale is a is an emotional experience in a way that few games are. I think like if you were to sort of concretely say like how does the game compare and its mechanics, like the game is fine, truth be told. Like I think the bullet hell combat is a really clever way to interpret turn-based combat. I don't I don't know like the thing is, like, I would love to see this influence more games, but if someone did this, it would just literally be copying it because, like, there's no way to, like, really interpret this any differently. So I think the bullet hell is interesting. I, I think it's I think it's thematically on point that the combat is also about avoiding combat literally. Like, yeah, to right. survive, you have to avoid combat. And, you know, the, the navigation of the world, like, the puzzles can kind of be a little tedious and, like, there are some points where the presentation can be a little off, like... I think most of the time it's very charming. And then sometimes it's like, here's purple in the worst shade of orange. And you're like, <laughs> like, it's like, it just yeah. like hits you sometimes with, with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to compare. I think that like, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, when we talk about games, we, we often make fun of the idea of like graphics, 10 gameplay, 10. So like, I don't want to reduce it to that type of conversation. I thought you were going to be like, but I do think we should do that for this game. <laughs> Sound effects. Sound effects, Ben. I think as an experience, it's right up there with the best. I think in terms of like how fun the actual like gameplay is and like how much I'm thinking about that walking away. I I think that there are other RPGs that I like enjoy the material aspect more. But I wouldn't say that that gets in the way at all, really. I just think that like Sorry, did you say the materia aspect? <laughs> I said material. No, I know but what you said. I, I would not be surprised if I said materia unconsciously. Like how does this compare to other RPGs? Materia. That's my answer. <laughs> it's got none of it. I think I think it ranks amongst my favorite game experiences of all time. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I would say that, like, if you were to judge the game on on a more like uh, physical scale, I think, you know, it, it's less than in some ways. But that almost makes it more miraculous that it's able to achieve these highs with like such a limited scope in terms of like the game itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really right alongside you there. I I, th- I think it's incredible just, you know, being made by mostly one person with some help on yeah. the art, um, which I, I don't, I don't think can be discounted in any way. Cause the art is a huge Art's part of lovely. Yeah. yeah our art's a huge part of this game. The but, character design. I mean, I know I'm, I criticized the color choice, but that's more just like the background stuff, like the actual characters and the way they like animate and look in combat is, is wonderful. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really good. It's really well done. But that having been said, I, it's interesting for me. Um, I, I have to stop saying that I'm new to the genre cause I'm not, it just feels like that still. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting to compare it alongside other games. I think mother three as, as a great, uh, as a great comparison point of like, what is this game trying to do? How is it, how is it accomplishing it? You know, in, in terms of like success, I feel like this game does a much better job of highlighting what's interesting and cool about it. And also in terms of drilling down thematically in what it wants to convey to the player. I think it's like bar none, like probably one of the best when it it comes down to like actually playing the video game. I think it's, it's fine. It's like fine. 
Like, yeah. I, like, like, truly speaking, I, I already mentioned this. I'm awful at it. I'm like really, really, really bad <laughs> at the bullet hell side of this game for some reason. And even beyond that, I didn't, I didn't feel super compelled in this game to go and like talk to everyone and poke at every edge of the game, um, which is weird for me because I usually like doing that in games. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that like that that's I usually take like five times as long to play any game than most people for that reason. And I didn't feel that compulsion with this game because I just kind of wanted to see what the endings were all about. And I and I wonder, you know, going back to that first question, like I wonder how much of that was my expectations going in and like knowing what I knew about the fact that there was more than one ending and that there are different ways of playing the game. If I was more just interested in like the kind of near automata of it all of like, just get to the end, get to the end, get to the end, see what changes, you know? Yeah. So there's kind of that aspect of it, but like, I I think it also comes down to the fact that, you know, the more time I spend playing the game, the harder it's going to get. And I'm already bad at the parts that are easy. So I really just needed to like get through it kind of. Um, And and I, I feel bad about that. Like I feel like that's kind of a bummer. Like at least with mother three, I was able to like grind to some extent, you know, I was able to like, actually level up to a point where the stuff that was way too difficult and i still feel like that game is wildly imbalanced um, for what it's trying to accomplish even with that game though i was able to like grind enough that i was able to beat it eventually unfortunately not in time for the recording of that episode but you know i was able to do it and yeah i don't know that's that's kind of where i land on it I i feel i feel kind of where you're coming from is like yeah narratively and thematically i mean it's probably the best one but you know, outside of that, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think in comparing it to another RPG that's considered one of the best of all time that we played earlier this year, Chrono Trigger, like that's a game I look forward to playing constantly and, you know, has the narrative. I mean, it's it's a good game, but I, I just <laughs> think it's like that's the one area where I think Undertale falls short. But again, I think it's all kind of an intended package. So let's move on at Silverhanded. Spoilers. Uh, we're in too deep at this point. Was there a moment when you realized this was a special game? For me, I killed Toriel at the start of the game, not knowing it would stick. I reset, and then Flowey directly called me out, basically narrating exactly what I did and my feelings about it. It was chilling. This is a great question, because I think that like that's a moment that a lot of people will experience. It's sort of like sort of the, the magic trick being revealed in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think Toriel is almost sort of designed to be that that reveal you know no, no matter how that situation with her plays out i think like for me i i <laughs> i i didn't fully somehow i didn't fully register that she was like dead dead i'm like yeah I, I don't know if she's like gone for good or if that was just like a mean thing i did but i feel bad about it mm-hmm. i think i i realized the game was special when I uh, sort of following that feeling of guilt and my own like player driven goal to not fight Papyrus. Like I I felt like an actual desire to not hurt this character because before then, like I don't, I don't know these like vegetoids or froggets or whoever, like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of acting in what I think my best interest is. And with Toriel, I, I was suspicious of her. So that whole encounter was like, kind of a mixed bag of emotions where I'm like, I don't really know why she's trying to keep me here. She seems nice, but I don't trust her. And now she's like forcing me to fight her. So like it it was a very complex moment for me emotionally, but for Papyrus, I was like, he's my bud. I'm not going to lay a finger on him, you know? (laughs) So I think that that moment was special for me. And then I think like the big thing for me where I, I thought the game was like on another level was the first ending where Flowey takes control of the game and then you fight Photoshop Flowey. That, yeah. that is still, I think, one of the highs of the whole experience. 
Mm. So that those would be my two answers. Yeah, I think I think the big one for me was like going into the game for this playthrough specifically and knowing what I knew from how far I'd gotten in previous playthroughs. Starting this one off with that first conversation with Flowey where he's trying to teach you how to play the game and how to do the bullet hell. And I avoided all the all the hits. And he was like, oh, you understand what's going on here. Like doing that, like starting the game on a new platform and getting that intro was like, oh, yeah, this is sick. Like the, the game already knows that I already know what's going on. The game knows that I couldn't beat Muffet on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So it, it was it was really because I, I mean, again, like going into this episode, I was like unsure if I was going to be able to finish it, you know, determination, et cetera, et cetera. But like I was unsure <laughs> if I was going to be able to actually do it. Uh, so I think I think that was like a really good foot to start out on, you know, was the game immediately being like, yes, you are aware. We are aware that you're aware. And uh, that's what this is going to be like. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think Flowey has a lot of great moments like that. And there's so many to count. I mean, like, it's really creepy that that entity feels alive. OK, at Spring Dingus, uh, do you feel like the dialogue slash writing style in Undertale is ageless or is it the type of writing that feels specifically reminiscent of a specific age or time frame of the Internet? Fantastic question. I think it's a mix. I think that I would say yeah. most of it is is fairly ageless. But every now and then you get like a tart spoonful of like 2010 meme dumb. And it's like, uh, like, I think I think it depends on the character. Like we said, Metaton is an ageless star. Like everything Metaton does is so funny and is so like wildy coyote Looney Tunes humor. Mm-hmm. And I think Papyrus and Sans are hilarious personally. I think some of the like random monsters is where it's more hit or miss where like they will like speak in like a late aughts internet way or something yeah, like yeah it could be a little cringy but it doesn't really get in the way it's it's fairly ignorable for the most part whenever a character speaks in that way i was like oh that's just like who they are i never felt like it was like toby fox going out of his way to be like with with the times in 2015 or whatever it just sort of like is a is a byproduct of like what was funny online then i guess yeah I, th- I think there's a certain aspect that like a, a lot of the dog stuff, I think, hasn't aged super well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it has this big like people who still say heck and doggo energy, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's literally um, an enemy named doggo. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, that side of it is like, oh, OK, like maybe, maybe not like that, that we could kind of leave that in the past. And kind of on that note, also the Temi village in, in yeah. is like, it's like fine. You know, it, it, what's funny is I, if I recall correctly, like around the time when the game came out, I feel like that was satire of that style of speech yeah. already. Like it, I, I feel like the Temi village wasn't trying to be like funny on face value. There's kind of an irony there, but now this far removed from release, it's like kind of come back the other way and been like, Oh man, this is actually pretty rough. You and I have talked about this a little bit off the show and maybe even in this. I don't even know. We've been recording for so long. But Deltarune, on the other hand, so far from what I've played, at least, does not really seem to have this issue at all. No, if I had to guess, I just feel like Toby Fox has like grown and gotten better as a writer. So like it just feels like the humor is sharper in those games than in here. Yeah. You know, and again, I don't really think that's going to be a huge detractor for the experience. But I I do think like to answer this question directly, it's, it's a mixed bag. But um, overall, I would say it's 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 pretty ageless for the most part. Um, the, yeah. The parts that matter, I don't think, are like confined to 2010s memes. You know. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, uh, moving on. At Southern Moth, I'd love to hear a discussion about games or media with communities that turn people away. Undertale was up there with Rick and Morty for the peak of that title. I think we might have covered this a little bit already, but it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I always try not to like make my mind up about a piece of media based on the fandom because there's so many things I love, including Undertale that have really bad fandoms, but it's hard, right? When it, like, if that's your first impression with something, it's an uphill battle from there. I remember like, I still haven't watched adventure time because of, of my experience with like that fandom in college and mm. you know, the like random bacon part of it all. So like, yeah, yeah. I just haven't watched it. I'm sure I would love it. Like I've heard it's, it's a great show. You would so many it. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the sad thing. And I'm sure I'll watch it. And now, and like all these years later, be like, this is a great show. I mean, there are shows that I've been told that I would love that don't have bad fandoms that I still haven't watched. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to get me to watch a show, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do my best to take a step back with that stuff especially during this show i think brendan and i want to check out as much stuff as possible i think we especially like when we play something we don't think we're gonna like so you know if the, if there's a game that like has this negative aura around it that's not really the game's fault or intention right yeah i, I usually think it's worth breaking through that and almost always the piece of media isn't like hey be a shitty fan like that just sort of happens by accident most of the time <laughs> you know <laughs> Sometimes it does, though. <laughs> As I've mentioned, I initially didn't check this game out because of what I'd heard about the fandom, you know, just kind of the way I'd seen it described at the time around its release it just seemed like something I didn't want to engage in and didn't want to associate myself with in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, that prevented me from checking it out for a long time. And as we've already mentioned, it's nice to now, like years and years later, be checking it out, kind of removed from all that, which is, as you just said, like one of my favorite aspects of doing this show is saying, like, let's check something out, like removed from whatever weird discourse was surrounding it. Uh, as we were just saying with Chrono Cross, you know, that's like a game that now revisiting with fresh eyes um, is like exhilarating, very cool, etc. Looking into where the fandom kind of went wrong was really fascinating and like really upsetting also. Like it's pretty rough. There's pretty rough shit going on here. And, and it just kind of like it speaks to a, a thought I have about like most things where eventually when a fandom gets too big, it eventually has this like kind of problematic ownership over a thing. Like you can love a thing to death, like literally. And, and I find that really upsetting, but it's kind of an inevitability sometimes in some spaces, um, especially in cases where like, you know, Undertale is like a one and done thing. Toby Fox like has every right to kind of, you know, remove himself from that conversation if he wants to and just like be an artist who made a work and release it out into the world i think in other cases where like for example a podcast or something if your following gets gigantic and your fandom gets huge and like really shitty and bad like that's your responsibility as the creator who is creating this like ongoing piece of work to be like hey fucking stop it you know and unfortunately that's not really a thing that could happen here so what happened was just like this fandom unfettered just kind of went out into the world and like became the worst version of itself uh, because it loved the thing too much, which I again, like I, I keep coming back to these ironic points where the text and and the, the reaction to the game are like so at odds with one another. But like that's literally the first thing that happens in the game is you fall down into this pit and Toriel loves you so much that you almost kill her, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 
she she loves you so much that she's like i'm going to literally fight you so you don't leave like that's and that's what flowey does too like flowey becomes a monster because they don't want to say goodbye to you you know right i mean that's that's literally what the game is um so you know uh, this happens time and time again you could point at so many different online communities and i i do think the online aspect of this is one of the most important parts because this to me like really goes back to like kind of really early like the worst people online figuring out how to use that to their advantage you know figuring out how to like mobilize hate groups and like go after people in a real way you can go look at like the bulleted list of all the things that happened within the undertale fandom one of the weird ones is like markiplier who's this guy on youtube like started doing a let's play of this game and then had to stop two episodes in because the community was so horrible to him and was harassing him so much like this is a person who already had like millions of subscribers on youtube he stopped doing his let's play because of the way the fandom reacted to the way he was playing and the way he was playing as it turns out was he hadn't picked up on the theme of the game yet he went into it knowing literally nothing like actually nothing which is like undertale is one of the best-selling games on steam right now i'm gonna check it out because i'm a person who plays whatever the best-selling thing on steam is that's the kind of content i make on youtube and started playing it and was like i'm gonna fight some stuff and like fought some things you know because he had he hadn't quite figured out that you shouldn't yet yeah and the people went wild and spoiled the whole game for him etc cetera, etc cetera. and like he was like well why we why even play it then you know i'm out yeah. if this community is this horrible and the whole game is now spoiled for me i'm not gonna play it i think he ended up finishing it eventually but point being like that's just like a kind of bummer but like low stakes version of this it goes all the way up to like actual violence against people in real life like it wow. really is that whole spectrum and that that is really upsetting again about a game who at its heart thematically is like, please be a nice person. <laughs> like, please, yeah. please. It's hard to be, it's hard to be nice sometimes, but you, you got to do it. You have to put the effort in. The effort is worth it. Determination again, et cetera, et cetera. But like always be nice, do the peaceful thing. Pretty wild. It's, pr- it's pretty wild that that's what happened with this game. Yeah. That's disappointing to hear. I, I didn't know the full scope of it. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, th- there's a, there's a video by a guy named super eye patch wolf on YouTube who did like a full kind of retrospective of what happened with this community and this fandom and like how it went so bad and, and the takeaways from it, which I think is worth watching. I'll link to that in the show notes. Cause it's, it's, it's an interesting watch, but I mean, outside of that, I did a bunch of my own research and it's just it's just very surprising. So I I guess, you know, going into this episode, I was like, well, I'd always heard that the fandom was bad, but I didn't know if that was actually true or not. Like it might have just been like kind of cringy. Like that was always my thought was like, it might have just been kind of cringy, but it really like does escalate in like really kind of problematic ways. Um, So all that having been said, like those people don't represent what the game represents. And again, that's why so much of this episode, I really wanted to focus on what the game is like. What is the text? What is what is trying to be conveyed here to the player? Because that is like very moving and and emotionally charged and powerful and cool and good and like a like an actually good force in the medium. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about that, but uh, it's pretty rough. Yeah, it's very disappointing to hear. Yeah. The next question, thankfully, is a pick-me-up. What was your favorite area of the map to explore? (laughs) Uh, This is from at Husband. Thank you for this. What was your favorite area of the map to explore? Did you have a favorite? And did you have a most frustrating battle? Muffet. Muffet was your most frustrating battle. My most frustrating was actually Asgore this time because... I committed to full pacifism from go and like normally in the full pacifist route where you don't kill anyone, you never level up. You don't have to fight Asgore because like you presumably have done the neutral route already. And then 
everyone comes in to prevent that fight from happening. But if you if you do the first route, the neutral route, fully pacifist, Asgore is so hard. He is so hard to take down when you haven't leveled up at all. Yeah. I've, I've never fought him without having leveled up at least a little bit because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing yet. Yeah, that move where he changes, uh, he, he does the like orange and blue attacks. The scythes, yeah. Yeah, that, that really like I was doing OK with that move in other parts of the game where they're trying to teach you that stuff. But uh, the, the eventually he does like rough. seven swings and it's like, I'm just going to get hit and then hope that I survive. Yeah. Yeah. That was literally my, my uh, solve at the end was like, I have a lot of healing items. I'm just going to yeah. not move. I don't care. I can't, I yeah. can't fight this one. <laughs> so that was frustrating. Um, I also really struggled against the guards for, for whatever reason this time. I don't really know why. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But my favorite area to explore, I really like, I think my favorite area in general is snowed in just because like it's a nice place and there's it's hard like, to beat snowed in. Yeah. Yeah. There are clear points of interest. Like, if I lived in the underground, I would want to live in snowed in. You got grill bees. You got like a weird uh, ice machine um, <laughs> and you got papyrus and Sans's house waterfall. I think was my favorite area to explore, though, because I just liked the mystery of it. I liked finding the ghost's house and Undine's house and like. Um, the music of that area. But yeah, I would say Snowden is my favorite area overall. Yeah. Yeah, same. I love, um, there's that one, I, I forget like what kind of monster they are. I think they have a big scarf or something, if I'm not mistaken. But they say something along the lines of like, you know, why are we all out here and hanging out if the world is so bleak? It's like you got to do something to pass the time. Um, yeah. Which I, I think is really fascinating. I think that one line by itself says so much about the world of this game um and snowden is filled with lines like that but that that, yeah. that one really stands out to me specifically just in terms of highlighting like yeah the monsters don't want to be trapped in the underground like that's this sucks for them they're they're making do they're like doing the best they can given the situation but it's vastly preferable to not be trapped underground <laughs> um but also i mean th th there are just so many gags in this town that i absolutely yeah. adore like the the rock and the two like children rocks um there's that one house that you can knock on the door and they're like oh, what an incredible knock like that whole bit is so funny yeah there's the library that has like really interesting lore in it yeah um, and it's also like spelled library or something like the, <laughs> yeah it's spelled incorrectly it's really good it's a good it's a good place it's a great place. Okay, just a few more here. Um, at Kyle Labriola. Hi, Kyle. What are your thoughts on games with multiple endings, especially when fans or the developer consider one of them the true ending? Do you prefer to get the true ending or are you satisfied with any? Do you prefer it to be easy to get the true ending or take work? This is a great question. So this is sort of like more of a broad like games in general, not necessarily Undertale. Yeah. What's the what's the hardest true ending you've ever gotten? That's a great question. Um, I have one, I have one at the uh, top yeah. of mind that I'm thinking about, which is Kingdom Hearts 2, which I I love that game. I love it. I probably will never play it to the same extent that I did the first time through. But I loved that game so much that I like couldn't stop and I couldn't put it down, like very much the antithesis of the Undertale side of the world. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, early game facts, like knowing that there was a true ending to find in here etc cetera, etc cetera. you have to go and collect every item in the entire game and that means like fighting uh fighting heartless like over and over and over and over and over again hoping to god that they drop the one you know super rare item i was just like grinding that game out so i could build the ultimate weapons and then go fight sephiroth sorry spoilers for kingdom hearts 2 uh, uh. 
go fight Sephiroth, who's voiced by Lance Bass from mm-hmm. NSYNC, and then uh, and then get the the ultimate ending, which was a teaser for Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Um, and what then an ended up actually element. being retconned into a teaser for Birth by Sleep, I think. Oh, interesting. Really wild. But uh, anyway, point being, that took me like an entire summer to to get that ending. It took me so long. I worked so hard for it, and it super wasn't worth it because <laughs> like <laughs> it was worth it in the sense that I got to play more of my favorite game. Like at the time, that was my favorite game, and I and I got to play more of it, and it let me hang out in that world longer. I I found that place to be so emotionally motivating that I didn't want to leave it. So in that sense, it was good and I'm glad I did it. But in another sense, like, you know, it was just like a cutscene that I unlocked at the end after doing all this work. Uh, and, and I could have just watched it on YouTube probably. And I probably should have. And honestly, ever since then, ever since that game, I've, I've always been kind of hesitant to like really put that kind of time into these kinds of experiences. Like I find, I almost find that these kinds of true endings are not for me. Like I, I don't, I don't want to make like a blanket statement and say like who they're for, but I know they're not for me. I'm, I'm just never really going to put the time and effort into getting that kind of ending unless it's a thing I'm like super, super invested in. And that happens kind of few and far between on the same level that like kingdom hearts two did back in the day. Cause I just don't yeah. have that same time. I don't have that time. I don't have an entire summer that I could sit in front of a TV and, and collect every item. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about, there's a lot of questions within this question and just to tackle the first one, like, what are your thoughts on games with multiple endings? I think it really depends. I mean, the f- the first two that come to mind are Undertale and Nier Automata, which are both some of my favorite games of all time. And while those games have multiple endings, they also clearly have one that you're supposed to land on. And I, I don't think it's like I think you could you could debate if it's like a big ask on like how to get the true ending of Nier Automata and the true ending of Undertale. I think if you're enjoying the games, though, it's not really that much work. You just have to kind of commit to what the game is asking you to do. Yeah. And in those in those two cases, the final final ending is is beautiful. I think that these two games have like some of the best finales of all time, in my opinion. But overall, outside of those two games, if a game has multiple endings, I'm almost more interested in like the personal aspect of it. Like if it's a story where depending on the actions I took, I get my own ending. Like I don't need to see them all. It's like, oh, what ending did you get? It's kind of like Mass Effect in that way where it's like, how did it end for you in in one, two and three? Yeah, that's the much better way of doing it. Unless you're doing, you know, this Undertale idea. Right. I think just like kind of locking, like if it's a game that is otherwise linear and you're locking what you consider a true ending behind like unnecessary stuff, like that's kind of annoying in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think if it's a game that is influenced by choice, you can have a lot of fun with that. And, you know, I think for what is the true ending, that's very case by case. I think in Undertale, it's whatever ending you, you left off on. And I think in the Automata, it's clearly one. <laughs> there, there is one <laughs> ending for that. Despite the many endings, there is one ending for that story. Right, exactly. So that's that's my thought on it overall, loosely speaking. Yeah. And then, as we've brought up many, many times on the show, there are cases where like you make your own ending that is separate from what the developers intended, which I, I, I think is just as valid. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, especially for stuff that's like maybe intentionally kind of open-ended, you know, it's like, how did you interpret this ending? I, I think we talk a lot about the power of games and it's a delicate balance, but the power of like, how, how confident are they to let the player fill in the blanks, but not 
to the point where there isn't an actual satisfying conclusion. Right. In that way, I think about like Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. I think that's like a good example of games that are that are very minimal and loose in their storytelling. So a lot of it is kind of going to be you filling in the details. I, I've been thinking about Eco a lot, actually, because I I've always thought about the save points in that game. Mm. The fact that the save points in that game are the two characters on like a literal couch together. And the game is so much about their relationship and their desire to protect each other, but they so rarely speak to each other in game. Mm-hmm. And to me, the fact that the game's save point is them together in a moment of peace where the music is so tranquil and beautiful. To me, it's like when you're not playing those are the moments between the characters. Like they have a story that you can kind of imagine that's independent from the game part of it, which is like largely puzzles and stuff. Right. And I, I, I feel like undertale is applying that logic in some ways to the end where it's like these characters live on once you stop playing it. And mother three has a similar idea it explores, but I won't say much more in fear of spoiling it. Cool. I'll move on to the next question before I spoil eight games at once at Corbin (laughs) gross. What are your favorite fan theories about the game's story? I enjoy reading what people think of the story and different theories, but I don't need definitive answers from the creators. When do you think leaving questions unanswered and open to interpretation is good for a game? Whoops, kind of ends with that. Um, But I do think it's important to focus on this a little bit. Yeah, I think it's contextual based on the game itself, right? And and, and in the case of Undertale, it's like, just be good with this. You know, (laughs) Undertale is like, just leave it everything you got the happy ending you're cool you're good everything's fine these characters will be better off if you never show up here again uh unless you're coming back to get the happy ending again and even then is like kind of torture in a way (laughs) uh yeah Yeah. so uh i i think i think it really depends it really depends on on the game because because obviously you don't want it to be unsatisfying because sometimes that's the situation sometimes you know a story being too open-ended can end up being unsatisfying for people and sometimes a story being open-ended is the point right like look at the last moment of inception i guess you know the the spinning top people are like endlessly debating about that i have i have what i think happens at the end of inception but there's probably an equally valid read uh for the opposite case I think overall, just like in media, for me, when I'm most, and I think this is a very subjective answer, obviously, but I think I'm comfortable when something is left open to interpretation, when there's enough evidence in the piece of media that can back up multiple claims and like that they can both simultaneously be true. It's like, I think the FromSoft games are good at this. Like, that's another series that has similar minimal storytelling to Eco and Shadow of the Colossus where like you're getting kind of like little crumbs of story and motivation and like mm-hmm. you can interpret it the same way you can interpret mythology where it's like in this one tale these characters are lovers and in another it's like you know they're enemies or they're you know it's like a shift in perspective like we mentioned earlier. I think that 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 works but that's I think some people like a more clear cut narrative and there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, there's a place yeah. for something that's like a bit more direct. I think in the case of Undertale, despite all the like AUs and fan theories and creepypastas and speculation, it's like a very simple story. Yeah. It's like shockingly simple. So that's what I would say for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last question. Exciting. At the full cane. Having been six years since Undertale came out, are you surprised to see so few games since it's incredible success that try to break the fourth wall. Uh, 
uh, I'm not really surprised. It's a really hard thing to do well. You can break the fourth wall in a way you can say, like, this play sucks, right, when you're on stage and it will ruin everything. You know, I think that it's like <laughs> it's a very delicate thing because I think that, like, the way I've said this many times, even outside of this episode, but the way that Undertale breaks the fourth wall doesn't debase the story that is happening. There is a like very, very base storyline happening in Undertale that could exist with or without the meta narrative of it. So I think that games that break the fourth wall, like it can often be used as like kind of a defense where it's like, oh, we're self-aware. So like it makes this shitty thing about the game or these shitty mechanics funny and irreverent because we know they're bad. Like that's never interesting to me. But breaking the fourth wall again in the way that Near Automata does and Undertale and, you know, I think there's a place for it. I think it's a it's a bold thing to do for games specifically because I think that games often ask for a little bit more suspension of disbelief than other media. You mm-hmm. know, there's like inherently a lot of things that we have to buy about this world in order for it to exist. So I often get annoyed by fourth wall breaking if it doesn't serve a clear narrative purpose. So I guess I'm not really surprised. I think that like there are games I know of that have tried to break the fourth wall in this way, and it usually comes off as trite or forced uh, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. The the ones that I'm thinking of that are successful, I have probably played because they're successful. Right. I imagine there. <laughs> I know this is like silly to say, but there's so many video games that come out all the time. And I imagine a lot of them are trying to break the fourth wall. I imagine there's a lot of games out there that have tried to do stuff like this that are inspired by this. But unfortunately weren't as successful in that in that conceit and probably didn't break through into the kind of space where you would see like commercial and and uh critical success you know so there are a couple of games i can think of off the top of my head that do break the fourth wall and are actually very interesting and good a recent one for me is uh there is no game that i played yeah. I, th- I think it was last year that i thought was like great i mean that 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 game was so fun and weird and cool and like wasn't really trying to say a whole lot by breaking the fourth wall and still ended up being an extremely successful version of that just based on the merit of its writing. Like the writing was just so funny and so irreverent that you wanted to continue playing and you wanted to see how many conventions it was going to try and twist on you. And then there are other ones like the Stanley Parable and specifically the re-release that's out right now, the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, which is breaking the fourth wall like from go. Like that's the whole point of the game is to break the fourth wall and does so successfully to kind of get at a larger theme like to get at a larger idea um and then the ultra deluxe version of it also asking a bunch of questions about like why would you revisit a game from 2013 like it should be done i i i think that there's there's a version of this that works and usually when you hear about it it's because it works i I feel like there's a lot of games that we don't know about that have tried doing this we had a similar conversation with Chris Plant when we did the episode about Spelunky and Nier Automata a while ago. And I remember when we got to Nier Automata and bringing up the sort of meta aspect and like how that can be a very like hit or miss thing. And something he said that stuck with me is he says, I don't think of it as much as being meta as much as it's being a, a critique, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Undertale and and Nier Automata, he, he referred to as critiques, which I think is a very accurate way of describing the fourth wall breaking yeah it's not deadpool being like i'm in a movie it's (laughs) flowey being like why did you do that you know it's it's a question being asked not something being said that we already know Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think that's it so we're right 
thanks for the question. No, yeah. it, it was a good question to ask. That I think it is like you know I'm, I I am actually amazed there hasn't been like a larger wave of imitators. Like I, I definitely I've I've played games that like really try to be Undertale and it's like very noticeable. But I don't think there was like a a immediate like Undertale like response to this. I think because it just feels so kind of it's like a once in a lifetime moment of like a game kind of raising this question and having this emotional resonance with people. It's hard to like recreate that. Yeah. And I think Toby Fox didn't even really see this coming either. So it's like, it's a hard thing to capture. And I don't really know if the meta aspect is like the sole reason this game took off. I think there's a lot of contributing elements. I totally agree. And I feel like there's an aspect of time to this. That's important. You know, this, this game could have, in another world been labeled as too much of like an earthbound or mother ripoff. Like there's a version yeah. of that that could have happened, but because of that length of time, because Nintendo hasn't engaged with that franchise at all since mother three dropped, et cetera, et cetera. There was kind of a hunger for this kind of thing. In the same way there was eventually a hunger for Stardew Valley because harvest yes. Moon had kind of fallen by the wayside. There, there are like a billion examples of this kind of thing. And I wonder if like years from now, like, like a decade, maybe 20 years from now, there will be a game that we're like, wow, this is just like Undertale. And that's sick. You know, like, I, I wonder if there's going to be yeah. a, a game that comes out that we're like, wow, this is really recapturing everything I loved about Undertale. I also wonder if it, it if that for that to happen, if game mechanics have to change enough, you know, because Undertale is operating under the assumption that you've played like 16 bit era JRPGs, you know? Right. Yeah. So like, is there a sort of Undertale style commentary for like, uh i don't know like a destiny type game like i don't i don't want that that sounds terrible as it comes out of my mouth but like i'm just thinking about like as games evolve the commentary on them will also change yeah and you know i think that like the success of undertale is really the the heart of it and and the the message and the communication of that message so like i think having a game that's in a similar style with goofy humor that has like an undercurrent of darkness if that's that's cool but that's not why this game is the way it is and why we love it you know yeah yeah totally just going back to the last question real quick are there any fan theories that you enjoy are there any like weird deep lore things that you want to bring up before we wrap this episode up yeah i'm trying to think if there are any i i didn't really get like you know when i first played this game and i was like totally in love with it and it was hard to not be thinking about it i mostly engaged with the music side of it like i i found a lot of different covers of the music and like there's a lot of great stuff there's a whole jazz album of like jazz covers called live at grill bees that's wonderful it's really good you send it yeah to so like i enjoyed that part of it i think one theory that i might have touched on already is that the narrator is kara the fallen child that like that frisk was taken over and that kara is like trying to essentially convince them to kill everyone by putting their vision of things through this battle screen I don't think that that's like exactly what's happening, but why are we seeing encounters in this like battle screen way? You know, Mm -hmm. like what is, what is influencing either Frisk or the player to see this encounter this way? Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, Someone has made like an astrology for the colors of human souls. So like, I think blue represents patience and yellow is justice, which are the two colors. uh, Sans eye twitches when he's, fighting you i like this sort of wondering like what were the characteristics of the other fallen souls and like what do they represent like almost cosmically 
not even like who they were as people, but like what makes a soul. It seems like all the, and I think the evidence for this is kind of in, or not evidence, but like one thing you could ponder is like in the Photoshop flowy fight, there are like terms that are thrown at you in different souls, parts of it. So it's like, you know, hope and patience and justice and all this, all this stuff, kindness. I, I, I like too that the red soul, the soul we play as, is simultaneously Frisk and Kara. It represents both of them. And we are really the determining factor of like, is the human soul capable of more than just destruction? So mm. those are the things that come to mind. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, my favorite theory is that Napsta Bluk is the strongest entity in the in the known universe <laughs> of Undertale because you can't harm them in any run, uh, even in the No Mercy run. Like if you try to hit Napsta Bluk, the ghost, it says like, I've got better things to do right now. Sorry or something <laughs> uh, or like not really feeling up to it. And they just leave. And in the full pacifist route, if you go back and talk to the ghost, Napsta Bluk, they say like there is this blinding light and like everyone got sucked into this void and i i just like closed my blinders i'm like what happened so like now everyone knows your name i don't know your name so can you tell me what your name is please i'll never forget it so like i don't know if they're the most powerful entity in the universe i think that they're just sort of like immune to everything because they're a ghost but um i like that idea that they're like secretly more powerful than anyone else so that that would be my favorite that's great yeah, I, I, I didn't do enough research into like the headcanon and lore side really to to speak to this. But I will say again, like I finished the first chapter of Deltarune and have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, and I'm making my way through chapter two right now and I still have a lot of thoughts about it and they're shifting. So I guess if you, if you want an episode about Deltarune, let us know because uh, yeah. I feel like you and I would love to sit down and talk about that game. I would love that. Deltarune is fantastic. It's a really interesting follow-up, and I'm very curious where it's going to go. Ironically, I do enjoy this sort of like diving into a forum and looking at theories about Deltarune way more than Undertale. Because again, I think Undertale feels so singular, and Deltarune, I think, is like, in a way, Toby Fox wondering, like, how can I follow this? You know, it's sort of the like Chrono Cross to the Chrono Trigger type situation. Right. Yeah. I'm specifically very interested in engaging with this game right now because of the fact that it's being released chapter by chapter. I, I feel like, you know, as as we've talked about, there are elements of the game that are aware of the fact that it's being released over long stretches of time. And I'm I'm starting to think that that might factor into what's going on story wise. Uh, so I guess my kind of like high level thing here is I'm glad that I played Undertale because it's allowing me to engage with Deltarune at the cadence that it's being released because I think that this space in between chapters is going to be really interesting um, and and I wonder if like by the time it's done if it will have been a bummer to have not been playing Deltarune the whole time before it's done and to like sit down and play the whole thing in one stretch or vice versa like I wonder I wonder which will actually be the better move when all is said and done. Um, but I, you know, if you wait, then you can never try this way. And if you try this way now, then you can do both ways, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. And the good news too, is that the next release will be three chapters at once. So like, Oh really? Yeah. So chapter Whoa. one was released in 2018 and then two was released last year. Um, Toby Fox has said that three, four and five will be released in one package. And then I believe there's seven chapters in total. So like, Jeez. we will pretty much have the bulk of it whenever the next part comes out and that won't be free. That will be like a priced release. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then we'll get whatever the finale is. I imagine chapter six and seven. 
Wow. Um, and that feels a little more intentional. I think like chapter one, he he's kind of spoken to the release and he said, you know, chapter one was sort of like essentially a demo where he's like, okay, here's what I'm working on. Like, with a team this time and here's my idea and people loved it. And then chapter two was released kind of as a surprise. And I remember seeing a Twitter thread where he was like saying that he was debating if he should like wait longer to have more to show. I think he mentioned that he wanted to release chapter two for free, largely because of like COVID being such an awful thing and like wanting to just like be like, well, Mm -hmm. here's like something positive I can give you. I can just give you this game for free that we're working on. Yeah. But it seems like he's doing way more collaboration. I mean, Lena Rain helped make some songs in the soundtrack for chapter two. And it seems like he's putting a bigger team together to make this. I mean, it's already a much larger project than Undertale was. So I'm really excited to see how it happens. But yeah, we're going to get the next three chapters in one release, which is exciting and daunting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Wow. I think that's it. I think that's it. Wow, this is this was a this is a big one to cover, but I'm so happy we finally did it, and I'm glad you got to experience it in a way that was like kind of detached from the more negative aspects that surrounded it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, put it on the board. Another rewarding experience. <laughs> uh, honestly, the conti- continuing to do this show, like you know, goofs aside, continuing to do this show specifically this. I guess this like year of the show where we're looking at these games that people say are like maybe the best of all time. Um, a lot of them are games that I haven't played before so far. Uh, and that's that's been really cool. It's been really rewarding. So I think yeah. I think we need to get something on the board that you haven't played before as well. I would love that. I mean, Portal 2 was one I hadn't finished. So that right. was definitely like a, a taste of that. But that that would be great. That having been said, though. Next month, we have already decided what our bonus is going to be. And oh, yeah. It is Should we reveal? That, yeah, it's a game that both of us have played uh, pretty extensively. Yeah. Next month's bonus is going to be Pokemon Red and Blue version. I'm very excited for this. We essentially went through, like, we, we're keeping a list of, like, games that we are thinking would make for a fun bonus episode or a fun patron episode. If you are a patron and you have the $5 tier, you can see the full list. It's in the air table. And we will update that as we have more ideas. But we essentially went through our backlogged accounts and we're like, okay, what would be fun? And we would like name a game to each other and be like, eh, or like, you know, write it down. And something about Pokemon Red and Blue just seemed really exciting. And also like we have a really busy couple months ahead of us. With preparation for the DS episode, which is the season five premiere. That's really exciting. But that's when like Goaty season and the season premieres are when we're kind of like the busiest we ever are for the show. So I think we've learned from past seasons that like to give us also a big, not a big bonus in terms of the episode itself, but like a giant game to finish in that time is almost always going to hurt the game experience. Yeah. So we're like, let's revisit a game we both love that we can finish pretty easily. And I think for all we've talked about Pokemon and I I think you and I had such a great time with the Pokemon Crystal bonus and talking about Pokemon Emerald on the on the Game Boy Advance episode. I think it'd be really fun to just go back to the very, very beginning of it and just like see how that feels now, you know, and yeah. I'm I'm very excited because that's a game I I played Red and Blue pretty much every year. It was like an annual thing for me up until oh, wow. like maybe college. Like I I played it a lot. Uh, it was nice to return to, and I haven't done that in a while. And I've played you know like Let's Go Pikachu and and Fire Red, but I haven't played Red and Blue in probably over ten years. And I know very well that it's like kind of a mess in some ways, and it's super glitchy, and you know, the the portraits aren't there yet, but that's kind of what I'm excited about. I'm excited to, like, experience Pokemon in its rawest and most original form that, like, 
started this entire weird thing we have now. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'll maybe talk in another episode about um, the experience of how we landed on on Red and Blue also versus like what I was trying to do for myself. But I will say that I've been playing Red and Blue already. I'm playing Blue version and playing it alongside Undertale has been very interesting because they weirdly mm. feel kind of similar so preparing for both bonuses at the same time has been has been cool but uh i'm i'm actually pretty deep into into blue version already i'm like three badges deep i've been playing like on and off um while percy is playing 13 sentinels i'm usually on the couch playing red and blue (laughs) um which which has been fun and a weird experience but uh yeah i'm really excited for that one because that's a game that's a game that i really haven't revisited in a long time as you were just saying the closest i've gotten is by playing leaf green for the game boy advance bonus last year and really being very disappointed by it especially in comparison to Ruby, Sapphire and Emerald. So yeah, I'm interested. I'm enjoying it. I'll say that much. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I have my original copy of red still. I have like in a little case. So I'm going to play that on the game boy advances. Kyle made for us. It will be a very good look for me. I'm excited. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Cool. I think we should wrap up then. Let's wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. This is a very long episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I, I, I feel really good about our discussion and it was, it was really fun to revisit this as well. And also kind of like, I think sometimes the bonuses are like a nice way to close a book, like for me, like my thoughts on a game where it's like, I can kind of like move on now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Or, or kind of reestablish like, what is, how does this relate to my life now? Did I find a new personal connection with it? Or is this just sort of like stuck to a time? Um, Mm -hmm. Which, you know, neither is good or bad is, is what it is, but this is a really fun experience. But anyway, Thank you for listening. Intothecast.online is our hub for everything. You can find ways to listen to the show, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. There's also links to the Discord, a lovely Discord. It's It's been, uh, especially with like uncertainty if uh, if Twitter will be usable for the foreseeable future, it's nice to have a place <laughs> just to like visit and talk about games. And I know it's going to be a good experience for the most part. Yeah. So shout out to the Discord for just being great. Um, you can join that if you'd like. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Special shout out to our patrons. By backing the show, you'll have access to all of our Patreon bonus episodes. Uh, and that is available by backing the $1 tier. As I mentioned a moment ago, the $5 tier gives you the Airtable, which is essentially a database of like all our episodes. You can type in a game and see which episodes the game has been brought up. You can also see info about the game, when it came out, what systems it's on, all that good stuff. And the $10 tier will eventually be a permanent discount for merch once we have merch up and going. That's weirdly been a strong demand from listeners. Thank you. That's very flattering. Uh, it will be set up in the near future. So we'll keep you posted on on when that happens and, and how that will happen. Yeah. But we thank you for your patience. Actively working on it. Yeah. Uh, just to reiterate, into the cast out online. There are links everywhere. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Brendan Bigley, and you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye-bye.